Recorded in the darkest dungeons of the basement of Death Studio, Josh, Troy, and Ty present a show dedicated to bringing you, the listener, into the adventure right along with them. Pick up your sword or load your bolt gun, but don't forget your helmet, because it is time for some playin' and slayin'. From the BOD studio, it is Playing and Slaying, episode 48, or as I'm going to call it later tonight, episode Double Jack Bauer. Mm-hmm. In this episode, <laughs> I get it. I get it. I like that. All right. Good. It's, good. it's good. Thanks. I worked on that one for, for a while. Um, we're going to do the usual playing, uh, hobbying, purchasing, kickstarting thing that we've been doing. Uh, for 48 uh, or 47 episodes before this one. Um, we are going to do a bit of a, a hodgepodge, a, uh, a round table of main topics again, as, as seems to be the case uh, through this um, COVID remote broadcasting, no events or anything uh, too crazy to, to really f- feature. So we will do a, a collection of main topics and then... Um, you know, perhaps share some other random, random thoughts, talk a little bit maybe about the next episode, fun stuff like that. Um, we will more than likely not do a this or that, uh, but we will do other things that are fun and enjoyable. <laughs> Just remember when you're playing and slaying, it is important to stay hydrated and I am well hydrated tonight. So I'm going to start the, the, the section, the segment. That's what you call it in the business. Going to start the segment off, talk about what I'm drinking because I'm very excited about this one. First off, the name of this beer, MC Hammerschlagen. Nice. It is an Oktoberfest, one of my favorite kinds of beer. It is from one of my uh, recent kind of favorite breweries, Eagle Park Brewing Company, local here in Milwaukee, and it's their Oktoberfest, and it is absolutely wonderful. Uh, I think this is six pack number four that I've gotten in the last couple of weeks. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very happy with this, uh, Oktoberfest style lager. It comes in right around 6% alcohol too. So, um, you know, a little bit more than your average beer, but less than some. So also had a, uh, bottle of wine over dinner and uh, a beer before this. So I'm, I'm primed and ready. Uh, it's go time. But Troy, so what are you? You got? have to say that. Say the name again. I want to hear the name again. M C Hammerschlagen. So Hammerschlagen, the game with the nails in a big log, where you, when you're drunk, you like try to hit the nail and think, you know, one handed, and if you're really crazy, blindfolded. Um, <laughs> but M C Hammer, M C Hammerschlagen, the Oktoberfest uh, beer, because German Oktoberfest. Yep. Hammer. Yep. So. It is, yeah. I'm, I am sold. This, uh, it, it takes the throne over Octillion, um, and it's right Ooh. up there with Third Space as far as like my favorite Oktoberfest these days. So nice. 
Troy, what uh, what are you imbibing? Uh, so I I'm I have a long story. I'm but I'm super excited about my beer too. Very excited. I've had to hold on. I've saved the last can of this out of the four pack for whatever. We were delayed a little bit. Apologize. I know it's been about not not quite our month in between episodes. So, um, but so it all goes back to Bryce. Um, in that. I've had in the last couple of weeks, I'm, I'm very lucky in that I think I've actually seen all our my co-hosts in person in flesh. Um, I've made the tour around the Wisconsin and area, and so which was very nice to see everyone uh, in the flesh. But a, a while back, I drove up and uh, and dropped off some uh, some stuff by Bryce. It might have been some 3D prints. We won't tell tell Ty. Um, and I wanted to go to. Lion's Tail Brewery, which is in Nina, which is just like around the lake, around the corner from Bryce's house. <laughs> uh, and it ended up not, I couldn't, it, the timing didn't work. They weren't quite open on a Saturday and things like that. So time didn't work. And I was a little, I was a little sad. I was super happy to see Bryce and everything else, but it, I was sad. I didn't get to hit Lion's Tail. But I heard, a, I knew that they had started to can their beer. Um, and so I went to our favorite uh, liquor store, Discount Liquor in Waukesha. Uh, I don't even know how long they've been there. They've probably been there for 50 years, my whole life. Who knows? Um, and I had to go ask in the back because they're like, <laughs> oh, we, and because I saw they had some stuff up in the front and they had a little sign like, go ask the guy in the back because we keep, they keep it cold. And so I was able to get pineapple, orange, banana, milkshake, pale ale from Lion's Tail. <laughs> so many and words. This, <laughs> oh, and this stuff is just like, um, it's it's a joy. It's an absolute joy. Um, it, it definitely is, has some fruit to it. Definitely a little bit sweet, but that Mick, you know, Josh, it's all your fault. You've got me, you got me hooked on the other one. I also bought the six pack of their, I can't remember what they call it. Um, juicy something is like yeah. their, um, is like their other one, the one they're kind of famous for that you got me hooked on. And, um, but this is another one of these kind of juicy IPAs cause I'm not an IPA guy at all, but these juicy IPAs and especially the lion's tail ones there amazing so so sorry that was the long way around that story but i, I had I, I drank the other three of them and i saved this one just for tonight because I, <laughs> it's, I it's the juice cloud juice cloud yes and i had i drank a four pack of that already too so I, it's funny i hadn't been drinking a lot of beer all, all summer and then I, I stumbled on this stuff and so and the fact that i know it's they have it at just down the road at discount is a little bit dangerous so i did not know that and now i will be yeah. visiting there this weekend and you got to look in the back and ask in the back if you want the the good stuff. Hopefully they still have the the pineapple orange banana. Hmm. Ho- hopefully. <laughs> so Josh, speaking of stopping at the liquor store this weekend, what uh what are you <laughs> drinking? Is it? Hopefully it's as good a story as Troy. We're just gonna one up uh, throughout the stories, <laughs> and then Bryce is gonna be like he went to Iceland and got shark <laughs> vodka and brought it back and chisel it out of the. The, the earth uh no this is uh it's just gumball head from three floyds that's it's their wheat beer <laughs> that's the story <laughs> oh man you didn't get the memo before the show <laughs> I, I didn't know i didn't know. <laughs> all right gumball head uh three floyds which can someone confirm or deny i heard three floyds may have either been closing or doing something to their their operation i don't Changing know. I haven't heard anything covid related yeah i don't know i don't know i didn't hear anything 
it really surprised i it was weird it's probably false hopefully it's it's very false but um maybe it's just like the brew pub or something yeah portion of it I will confirm now for next episode, so I don't, you know, uh, ruin our <laughs> sponsorship. Yeah, we don't want to. Yeah, yeah I want to start rumors. I want to plant a rumor in every episode just to see where it goes. That's my new goal. All right, Bryce, what are you drinking tonight, my friend? I feel like you should do me first from now on because you always save me for last, and I'm always a disappointment. It's intentional. Um, yeah. So tonight, um, I actually think that you'll appreciate this because you finally caved and tried a truly hard seltzer. And I, I told you how good the truly hard lemonades are. So I went with truly hard lemonade tonight to uh, get refreshed. It was actually really warm mm. out today and now it's yeah. supposed to be freezing tomorrow, but that's okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan now. I bought a six pack of the wild berry. Um, I mixed three of them with vodka for like a vodka soda. Cause you're not doing it right if you're using regular carbonated water. Um, <laughs> and then the other three I had after either too many beers or like just wanting something but not wanting water. And then they were very good. I'm a fan. Excellent. All right. After our uh, tour of the uh, the beer and malt beverage aisle at your liquor store, Let's move into what maybe people listen for, and that's what we've been playing. Um, I think they I listen will. to the beer episode. That's what I've heard is like that's the highlight. And then they listen to the beer know. and they exit. They and download. They, they get off. up. Yeah. They get yeah, up to hydration, and then yeah. they're out. Yeah, right. We may, we may lose about X percent of people listeners right after the beer stuff, and then. They... <laughs> well, for the three of you that hang on and listen to the rest <laughs> of the show, the code word is potato. Potato. The code word is potato. Let Josh know the code word on Twitter uh, at JJ Coop DeVille, and he will send you a special prize. I, I actually do have a prize for our listeners. Perfect. First person to tweet at Josh uh, at JJ Coop DeVille on Twitter, potato, and spell it correctly, will uh, win a prize. We do have prizes, we... and it's terrible radio. <laughs> but I do have I do have new coasters. So if somebody if somebody wants, uh, I can we'll send them a coaster, uh, a nice plain and slaying new style coaster from. This, this is this is what happens when we record on Wednesdays. <laughs> um, all right, playing right, game. Do you have any prizes? <laughs> no, no prizes. No prizes. But I have been playing some games on the computer. Um, and I'll start with that. Uh, this is an adaptation of a, a miniature game um, for, for the PC on Steam. Um, it is a Blood Bowl 2, so the second edition of Blood Bowl, a uh, computer game. Joined up a league, never having played Blood Bowl before. Um, or the computer game version, joined a league and started playing. So um, Brendan uh, Brendan Melnick from Cubic Shenanigans and um, a couple of the guys from uh, Mephisto's Discord, um, including Andrew, uh, kind of did this rank cast Blood Bowl League. So we've got multiple divisions. Anthony Polcastro started printing uh, Blood Bowl trophies that'll go to the, the winners of the divisions and the, the Blood Bowl champion. 
we're in the final week of the season. I'm actually playing Andrew on Saturday at 11 a.m. Uh, I think we're going to stream it um, for the the Nagash division uh, playoff seating. I think one of us will advance and one will fade into obscurity. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm playing as Wood Elves, which evidently are are cheating. It's like cheat cheat mode. I didn't know that, but it's probably a good thing that I'm playing with them because uh, I've never played before. So I'm just kind of clicking, trying things, real learning as I go. But having a lot of fun, getting some good matches, schedule your game each week, play with your opponent via Steam. He's been uh, streaming some of them on his Twitch, like Monday Night Blood Bowl or Friday Night Fights. You know, Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm spinoff so it's, it's been a lot of fun um it's a cool game i think i'd i think i'd like playing it on the tabletop too the mechanics seem just really really good i i've played a lot of gw games this this one feels like one of the tightest rule sets there's a lot of randomness crazy but it just feels really tight really clean tactical super fun i'm uh i'm a little surprised i i i think years ago i played one game with like my buddy matt on his kitchen table but that was so long ago I don't even remember. Mike, what? Yeah, I didn't know if you'd ever played the real, the board game version. It's kind of, I've never either, actually. And I mean, way back in the day, I think John and Ben had a little bit, and there might still be a few things floating around, but I never kind of got into it like a lot of people did. And it's, it, it, it is interesting, right? It's still, I think that's maybe why it's tight, right? Is it's been revised over the last 30 years, whatever, 25 years, right? How long has it been right. around? Um, and uh, yeah, I think that you described it perfectly, right? A lot of a lot of randomness, but a lot of fun. Like it's fun randomness, and uh, yeah, and people go into it. So yeah, so it's it's been a blast. I, th- I think we've got four divisions with five or six teams in each division, uh, or five teams. So twenty twenty teams. We're gonna do a playoff round, and then there will be the I think three three rounds of playoffs, and then the championship, and then the toilet bowl. So. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun. We're getting towards the playoffs, um, so check it out on uh, Mr. Mef- uh, Mephisto's uh, Twitch. He might see some games there. Talked about it uh, on some of the rank cast stuff, so it's it's cool. And the game on Steam was I think discounted to like three dollars recently because they just announced mm-hmm. that Gamescom um, Blood Bowl three right. coming soon. So the second edition with all of the expansions is on like the deep deep discount on on Steam. So well worth it. Yep. I might've spent money on that, even though I, who knows, hopefully I'll play it a little bit, but uh, yeah, it was I'll, hard to pass up the deal. I'll make you play it. It's like yeah. at $3, if you play one game, the hour and a half, like there's plenty of stuff you do for three bucks for an hour and you'll, you'll get your value from it. Yeah. We should, we should do like a little mini tournament or something. Yeah. yeah it's super fun. Good. And maybe I'll get you guys to play Blitz Bowl, the actual miniature game, because that's a, a, an economical way to jump in on the, the miniature side. And it's uh, not quite the same game, but it's it you get the, a lot of the some of the same feel. So, well, it's what's frightening is I was in at the game store just yesterday picking up a, a D&D book, which I'll probably talk about a little bit later. Um, and I was looking at the Blood Bowl teams and I was like, oh no, don't do this, Ty. Don't do this. You <laughs> won't play this. You don't need one. Don't do this. I managed to take my hand off of the box that I had like picked up and purchased my book and left the store. So I, I didn't acquire any more miniatures that I won't assemble or paint and play with. Question on everyone's mind is what team was it? Um, 
<laughs> it was the uh, the halflings. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Just because they look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good choice. Um, and then I did pick up Undaunted. So talked about that with uh, with Raf how North Africa expansion was was out. Um, I I was able to find a uh, a copy available at Noble Knight Games, so I ordered that through their web store um, and got that shipped to me along with another Marvel Crisis Protocol miniature. I got Ghost uh, Spider and Spider Man, um, so acquired that, and that was pretty cool. Other than that, um, I think that's that's really it for my gaming. Played a you know a couple rounds of Zombie Kids, the the um. I don't know what to call it. Talked about it ages ago, but it's like a um, legacy style kids game where you're keeping zombies out of the school. So mm-hmm. Tom and Landon and I played played a few rounds with with Nicole the other day. Cool. Who is uh, been? Oh my God, Josh! This has to be you because nobody else is this good at Magic: The Gathering. Yeah, I played a lot of Magic Arena and got to constructed Platinum Tier Two, and I was pretty stoked about that so um and that the season yeah. just reset so yeah what does that mean josh you have to bring us in like what does that even mean like so, i'll be okay. more excited for you <laughs> so there you start at like bronze level and i think there's four tiers of bronze level and then there's four tiers of silver level and four tiers of gold level and then there's platinum level and then um then there's like diamond level and i don't even know how you get there but i couldn't get past uh yeah, platinum tier two, but that uh I was tier four is the highest. What's that? Is that correct? tier four is the highest? Uh four four to one. So one is oh, the highest okay. of each level. Four, three, two, yeah. one. Yeah. Just just as a as a level set. So like when I started and constructed and played for like a while, um I I could barely even with like I finally had Danner build me a deck that like got me upper silver like i never eclipsed that with like a constructed deck from somebody that knew what they were doing like because you just hit a point where i lose a few games in a row and it bumps you down and then you climb back up then you lose a few games in a row it's it's actually a pretty good ladder system in, in matchmaking so you end up playing um against like commiserately skilled um players so, so, that's, so ty are cool. you admitting that josh is twice as good at magic at magic yeah, probably four times. I'm te- I'm a terrible Magic player. I never really got into the competitive understanding of the game. Did you guys play in high school? I I played like forever. Yeah, I I probably played with Josh real casually um, at yeah. points here or there. More recently in our life than early. I like I played Magic back when I was like eleven, twelve years old with some guys I knew, and then stopped for a long time. Um, and then what I, how I consider playing magic now is I'll buy a box every year at Gen Con, open all the packs and then sell all the rares. Cause I like <laughs> that opening, trying the you know, the gambling aspects the smell, of, uh, the smell yeah. is my favorite thing. Opening up yes. a pack. The smell of the pack. Yeah. Every once in a while, Ty, Ty will build a, a constructed deck and it's, he does pretty well. It's usually a red deck and he'll, he'll burn people down and then he'll sell all his cards. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yep. But yeah, no, I I've I'm, had a, I had a lot of fun with it. So 
I I need to restart again here. Uh, I think the the season reset and the new season starts here right now. I guess so. We'll we'll kick it off again. And see cool. what we can get. And I was jealous of Ty is... playing Blood Bowl too. So I I played a handful of Blood Bowl games just solo. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw I saw on Steam you had like three hours logged. I was like, oh sweet, Josh is playing. Yep, or had been playing because Steam shows you how what your friends are doing. So oh sure, yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> board game arena. Let me guess, Bryce playing all these games in board game arena. Nope, missed oh, the mark. Just kidding. I knew it was Troy. I can go first though. Yeah, Troy, we can. Troy will, <laughs> Troy will really have a list to wrap this up with. <laughs> Yeah, well, I want Bryce because Bryce did get me to buy some stuff, and I again in his many list of Frostgrave. So I'll let Bryce because he should at least talk about Frostgrave in your list. Yeah. Too. Well, before I get to that, I um was I got together with some of the guys down at Mark Ramchek's house, and we did a little outdoor. I can't believe we haven't recorded since then, but mm-hmm. an an outdoor um, Age of Sigmar three game uh, Saturday, and had a lot of fun. We all. We're spaced out and wore masks and stuff, but it was still nice to just get get the chance to be with some people and play some games. And um, I I was saying before the episode started, I just have no drive for AOS right now, and it's really sad. And even getting the games in, I was like, man, I I don't know. So I think I think part of it is just not having Ty there with me to uh, want <laughs> to make me convert crazy things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. I, I think that'll probably change as we get back to normal life in 2027. Um, but uh, <laughs> on that same note, I've been trying to find things to play in my lonesome here in the frozen north as the seasons start to change. And I picked up a couple games uh, that I'm kind of excited about doing some some dungeon diving into. Um, the first of which is the Elder Scrolls Call to Arms, which is a Skyrim kind of miniature game. Um, and it, it's a pretty cool game. You, you kind of play through some of the similar stuff that you do in the video game, but then there's all different outcomes that can happen. And it's not always like how it happens in the video game. Like you don't always get the stuff open. And so um, I picked up the starter set that has like all the rules and tokens. And then I picked up two boxes of miniatures. One um, is the, uh, I can't remember the name of the faction, Stormcloaks. Um, and that comes with, with five miniatures. And then there's one that comes with some of the dirges and a, uh, a dragon, not dragonborn, but whatever the characters are. It's kind of <laughs> losing my memory here. Uh, and then the other thing that I'm super excited about is Frostgrave um, version two or volume two. So the second edition of Frostgrave came out right around when the pandemic had hit the U.S. Um, and I, I picked that up recently and convinced Troy and Ty and I think Heath to also pick it up. And I'm trying to convince Troy to get a tabletop simulator set up for us so we can play some virtual games. But also there's a there's a one of the books that came out and of the many that there are is a full solo campaign that you can play through. Um, so I'm excited to give that a shot. Um, so I'm just working on painting up some terrain that I picked up from Josh and some ter- terrain that Troy dropped off and some terrain that Anthony sent over. <laughs> um, so then I can do some cool games in my, in my living room of uh, all those. So 
nothing nothing major playing but getting ready as the snow starts to fall to do some some solo gaming in the living room i'm uh interested to hear about the solo aspect of like the the skyrim and i know frost grave has it built in um I'm I'm considering I've I know I've talked about this before a similar approach to um playing through Gloomhaven like solo just to to like get it and and do it but I just haven't like focused and and sat down to make it happen. Yeah, it's cool cuz you, you you can just play like 20 minutes or whatever between dinner and bedtime or whatever, you know, when you have a free moment. You don't have to worry about taking turns. You just jump in, roll some dice and stay up till four in the morning when you plan to only play for 20 minutes. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> All right, Troy, shall go we... ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, shall we hand it off to Troy to, to bring home the playing section? All right. I will, I will keep some of this. Um, so I've been playing a lot of board game arena. Uh, the Weiss brothers have been, and, uh, and nephew, uh, my nephew or, um, have been getting together on almost every weekend uh, to play some kind of stuff on. And we've been kind of gravitating to Board Game Arena. I think I've talked about past is that's the kind of the platform we found is really is we've like in terms of what it what supports. But um, so we've been trying out some new games. Um, so for you, Ty, I know Carcassonne is one of your favorite games that you've played yes. for for years and years. And one thing they were pushing on there was like, hey, we have this the new all the expansions. Um, and so we were playing with the Dragons and Princesses expansion. I don't know if you've played with any expansions. Um, it was it was interesting because it adds a lot of randomness and um, I don't know what the and a lot of uh, hurt feelings in <laughs> in that game, which is interesting because Carcassonne usually it's and there's some right there's some player interaction and stuff like that, but uh, in both the games we played it. And the princesses, if I remember the rule, is there's certain, again, of the, what do you want to call them, tokens or the tiles um, that just have a little mark on them. And it's usually a princess is a city token. But what it lets you do is when you play that in the city, you can kick somebody else's meeple out of that city, right? Which can, okay. anyway. uh, and so like both of the times we did that, I think, so what'll happen is also like you had this big city. And then, you know, somebody's making there and then all of a sudden somebody comes and kicks them out. And now you have like a free for all of people like what. But if you're playing that princess, you kick somebody out, you can't place the meeple. So then now it's a free for all for who's the next person that can get a tile into that city and maybe claim a whole bunch of points. And both times we played, we ended up having one massive city that probably that turned the game for whoever that person was. Um, and then the other thing is these dragons. Again, there's other there's like 12, I think 12 tiles, maybe more than that. 12 tiles that have um, a dragon symbol on them. And then I think there's also volcano tiles. Um, if those come out, the dragon goes to the, and you have a little dragon meeple and the dragon can go to that, the volcano. Um, so I apologize to people that don't know Carcassonne, but I assume most people know the basic rules of Carcassonne where you're, you're, pl you're placing tiles and you're building out a, a whole kinds of countryside uh, and placing meeples to score different things around it. Um, but so the, the dragon comes out and then when the dragon tiles come out, Basically, you take turns. It just goes around the table, and you each get to move the dragon one one space. 
And if the dragon goes in any square, any meeples on those squares get removed. So again, <laughs> again you can really screw with people, right? And again, like, oh, I've been working this whole game to build this thing. Oh, and here, and you're, and you're like, oh no, the dragon, you know, and then you'll, the volcano will get played and I'll, oh, no, the dragon's now next to me. And now you're all worried because, and then part of it is that there's a lot of randomness around just as you go around the table. Because if you get to control him, you might be able to move him away from you. And you can never, the rule is you can't like double back. So he always has to move in a line away so there's ways that you can kind of almost protect yourself so that it, it, it you know get around but it all depends on how that how it ends up working in the turn order so uh, it was interesting because i think the one time we played too was i think ben and i both misplayed the the princess rule uh, wrong um or we didn't we didn't realize we were kicking something out oh, oh that was i wasn't paying attention which isn't i was like really focused on oh, i'm going to play my tile not realizing that ben literally had kicked my my meeple out of the city that I was just about to, because I'm all excited. Like I'm going to finish the city and score a million points. And literally the turn before Ben played a princess, kicked my meeple out. And then I literally played the the city thing and finished it for, I think John or somebody was in the, in the also, and I was like, and but he was last. And I figured, Oh, I'll get half the points. He'll get half. And, and I'll, it'll be enough for me to win. And John will get back in the game. And it ended up, I gave John the win on that one so um so it, it was again i hadn't played with a lot of the expansions i know some of them are hit or miss i don't know ty if you've played with some of the other ones but um again it it, it definitely added some uh i don't know excitement and a lot more like uh again a lot more player interaction around yeah around screwing over people uh to uh in in carcassonne so it was it was it was interesting so uh the second one another game we played and this is for you josh because i feel like this was the um, the spiritual like successor to your way back when you had done a prototype of a game of a mining game with some cards and things like that. And, uh, we found this game called off the rails, which is where you, and, and it, it felt like the spiritual successor to your, to your <laughs> card mining game. So like, oh, this spiritual is what successor to the game that never got, that never got, got made. made. <laughs> but I'm like, this, somebody had to make, somebody took Josh's idea and they, they stewed on it for a few years. And this is what came out. Um, and it was, it was, it's pretty <laughs> it, funny. It was me. I, I worked with somebody. And... <laughs> yeah, right. And so, uh, and so it's, the, uh, the graphics are pretty cool. You're a bunch of different, I think you're goblins or something else like that, but you each have like two tracks and two carts and you're laying out track to go into the mine. And then there's like some random randomness about the little gems and stuff all get kind of randomly placed around the center, the center um, tiles in the, in or of the board. Um, so you got to kind of go into the mine and then you got to work your way, your cart, then as you pick up the gems, then work your, your cart out of the mine. And then, your other carts can smash into you and a lot of randomness. And, and then there's a set game limit. At some point, the mine starts to collapse. That's kind of the end game mechanic. Um, and so as you're trying to like get the last bit of, there's a little bit of, you know, push your luck in terms of getting the last bit of gems to push out through your cart and then score it out. So uh, we played that it was kind of fun, but it did make, it was funny. It made all of us kind of think of, I think John had played that your prototype game back. And we're like, Oh, this is what, like what Josh's game could be uh, could have been after <laughs> a couple of years so um so it, it was fun i got yeah i mean it, it was something to check out if uh, you're kind of interested in that some of that stuff so um and just really fast through some of the other things we played uh, a light game i think it's been out for, for a while called for sale it's just a card game basically you're it's a bidding auctioning game you you, you bid for money to bid for checks i think uh, early and then the second round is basically properties come out and you're trying to 
get basically get the most property for the least amount of checks. So um, fairly simple and straightforward, nice little filler game. Um, but that's been out there for a while. And again, that's available on Board Game Marine. It was fun for that. Um, played a game of Colt Express. I think I hadn't played that since maybe we played that in Josh's basement uh, yeah, <laughs> a bunch of years ago. ago. So um, <laughs> so it was fun to kind of get that out again. Uh, I, what I liked is, again, this is a game that maybe, although it's something to say, like that game has a little bit of a physical presence because it has a cool, like the, the actual train that you put out. Yeah. Um, but if I remember right, there's a lot of, I don't know, a lot of mechanics around getting the deck set up, right? And because you're, yeah. right, you're, you're replacing orders. And so it was interesting, like on the computer, that all was kind of really, you know, gets done for you. And it, it's a lot, it felt a lot cleaner and faster to go through it. And that was kind of fun because then when you're playing through the, you know, the, you're giving orders and then you just kind of go through playing them. And so when the, you know, basically the computer takes care of doing all those actions and all you're worried about is like, do I shoot this person or something else like that? So now um, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Board game arena is the one that does it. Like it builds a lot of the rule engine for you. So it limits, like you can't do something to break the rules or sometimes in tabletop simulator, you you may not have the, the rules baked in and it's up to your control. So you can kind of, get things out of order of operations or like yep. screwed up. Yeah, right? yeah. And I think that's maybe that's why we're leaning towards board game arena. All the games on there are what they maybe call scripted. So basically all mm-hmm. the, the, the intelligence of the rules is all built in. And that's where we've kind of had fun for like games that we hadn't tried before because the game doesn't let you, it doesn't let you do something wrong. Right. You, 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 you only have to kind of know enough about the rules to kind of go through your turn and it's going to help walk you through, um, the, all the options and tools and stuff like that. So that's why sometimes we've just been like, yeah, I haven't, we haven't played Cold Express in a while. We don't, re- we remember enough that we can just jump in again. It was jump in and we were able to, to rock and what, roll pretty quick. What so. was the excuse for the next game on your list? <laughs> Love letter. <laughs> it was, uh, it was again, it was the, fi- we're like, oh, let's just play a filler uh, five minute game. And I was, I just wanted to see like, how are they, how are they doing it on the, on board game arena? You want to uh, see if so, you can make a bad game worse. Right. It was yeah. Just, said, it was yeah, just yeah, to and, annoy you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Troy yeah, did it think, intentionally for content because yeah, he wanted to put it on. He said, "Yeah, a little bit of a a rage rant." Yep. And then, uh, and actually, I think we annoyed Ben more than anything else because it was we ended up because it was like, "Oh, let's play a filler," and then we ended up playing like the full like I think because the the actual rules right to win is you need to win. I don't remember how how many rounds right. Too and many. Too many right because the game way overstayed its welcome uh, in terms <laughs> of that, and we basically ended up playing. Like, because it's, again, that's what annoys you, Ty, is the game is totally random, basically. Um, and so mm-hmm. what happened is we all basically, we played the maximum number of games. Like, we, you had to, you know, it's basically the first one to get to four wins or something. And we all ended up winning three games. So we ended up playing, like, a dozen rounds of Love Letter, which was, like, ten rounds more than we should have played. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I won't need to play Love Letter for another uh, five years again, probably. I feel your pain, Ben. I hate that game, and I would have been out after three. I'm surprised you stuck it out, my man. Ben Weiss, you are my hero. Well, I kept. Today. We kept, I think we kept lying to him and saying, "Oh, this will be it, and it'll be over." And they'll be like, "Oh no, I guess we have to win another round." And next round, yeah, we might have been kind of stretching it around. So, um, and then again, another game that's been around for a while, a newer game, and not a newer game, newer game to us, like we hadn't played, was Race for the Galaxy. This is a game that's been around for a while. It's kind of a probably like a 4x um you know it's an engine builder, builder i guess style, yeah right? it's like a deck yeah. it's like an engine builder card game um and uh again it was one we were like oh this game everybody talks about this game but we had i never played it yeah it's um, really good i i got introduced to it last gen con with matt and elena and had a lot of fun it, it's one of those that 
it's been out for i don't know 10 years maybe yeah because i think there's a, um, quite a few expansions and uh and things like that. again it's uh you're you're settling planets and and uh you know you have different mechanics of, of what yeah. you're placing on there and uh, and it felt like a good engine builder in that the game is too short like by the time you get your engine built the game's over <laughs> uh, which is i think always good because it you know it's it, kind of like it forces it you to felt make like seven decisions. wonders yeah it uh, has that feel for me of you're placing your cards you're generating your points you're but with a, a few more options because it gives you some yeah. some agency and if you're gonna you know mine or explore right. Yeah, and there's different races. It's like, do I want to yeah. go down the alien thing or the military route or whatever? Again, mm-hmm. I've we only played once, but that was kind of the feel we got for it. So, um, so again, that may be one we 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 break out again because it feels like one you do need to play multiple because you need to kind of understand what all the cards were that first time you play, and now you're like, okay, now I get it. What kind of different strategies are around for that? So, so that's uh, that's probably our again, and we played a ton of Seven Wonders. <laughs> so that's kind of the, our other kind of. It's kind of funny. That's also our filler game, uh, because in so you can basically play a game of Seven Wonders in like ten minutes on uh, <laughs> on Board Game Arena because it does all the it all does the all the card stuff. stuff for you. Yeah. yeah, and oh, I would I will mention they do have the the Seven Wonders is getting reprinted. I don't know if you guys saw that. That um, after how many million? I guess ten plus years. However, it's been around. Um, they they're kind of re, just kind of reskinning it, updating the art, kind of refreshing it. And actually they have that version on Board Game Arena now. Um, so it was nice to kind of get a chance. And they did fix, I mean, I, Ty, I know that we didn't have a lot of problems with color problems on Seven Wonders, but they did do a lot to really clean up a lot of the iconography and the colors and really make them um, different shades. And that was one of the things they, they touted was that, hey, this is much more cleaner in terms of an interface. Uh, and I think they succeeded at least from what we were seeing on the on the computer version of that. So, so that's kind of floating out there. Cool. Right. And that's it. Probably it for Board Game Arena. We did do Tabletop Simulator uh, the last couple of weeks, um, and I feel like I talked about this, but I talked about it in my mini test podcast. Um, <laughs> are you, are you going to release that as episode forty-eight point one? Forty-eight point one. Like a. Like, uh, yeah. Like here's a, a two and a half minute uh Troy talking about stuff he's did in the last I think two you weeks. should. The world Just needs talking to needs Craig. to be out in the world. <laughs> Troy talking and Craig. To Craig. Yeah. Two minutes with Troy. Uh so what was I've been playing we played Tabletop Simulator. We felt like we needed to kill some zombies. Um so we fired up Tabletop Simulator. What was the fun part is it again as I'm digging in, I was actually trying to figure out how to actually create a mod for a tabletop simulator. So I actually took one of the zombicide ones because we're like, oh, there's we'd like to take some of the good things we see in this mod for zombicide and some of these good ones we see from this zombicide um, and put them together. So I started to play with that a little bit. Um, and so we did that for the last couple of weeks. And so one we played and failed epically at uh, playing this. Uh, it's the hush scenario from uh, um, Black Plague. And then uh, last weekend we went at it again and it took us till about 1 30 in the morning but we did succeed in uh getting getting through it and it was and again we just went four adventurers it's really a small um it's just four tiles um but and it is touted as a hard scenario uh and there's just eight there's basically eight objectives you have to get to and it's real simple like just get to all the objectives what there is though is it's basically a square so like every 
I don't know how to describe it. Basically, it's a square block. So you basically have all the roads going from one end to the other. It's an, uh, a hex or not a hex, a, um, an, an roads going from one end to the other open on all the sides. And if you're basically, if you're standing in the street and you have line of sight to a spawn point, which basically means that every open corner of the board, there's a spawn point there. Basically, that spawns at the end of your player turn, not just on the zombie side turn. So you kind of have this balance of you need to move, you're going to go through, but anytime you're you're out in the street, you're spawning extra. And sometimes if you're in a corner and or on a, a an intersection of two streets, you're basically going to spawn two extra spawns. Um, so really difficult scenario. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, and uh, like I said, we we we're, we're early, especially early on, you're really struggling when you only have the three actions and trying to break out to to get that because you just can't move enough. You have to take some chances. Um, and, and as we got through it, and so we uh, we snuck that through after um, whatever quite a few hours of battling through it. Uh, and uh, but it, we, again, it was fun too. It was the one cool thing we found is we found this mod, and I might try to figure out how to do this in real life for Zombicide Black Plague. Is they actually had a a counter instead of the you know how you track your your kills along the bottom of the top. You're you're sliding that funny thing right to count. They actually had this little electronic counter where you just like an LCD counter, and you just click. And you always had what the number of kills were right in front of you. And it was easy to see across the table how many kills other people had. Um, and again, the fun things you can do in a virtual world, it would basically turn color. Like when I got to six, the, the counter would turn would turn yellow. And then when I got to the orange thing, it would turn orange. So you could always see around the table where everybody was in terms of their kill count and everything else like that. And so I was like, oh, this is really cool in virtual. How can I make this thing in real life? So I might need an electrical engineer to help me figure that out. <laughs> So that's all my games. So I've been playing a lot of games. That's the, at least the, yeah, the staying busy. Good to see. I suppose what we should probably do is a little bit of chatter about Roll Twenty and online D and D. A couple of campaigns going on as per usual. I'll start with the Sundering. Now, when I wrote the show notes, we were right on the heels of a uh, an event that happened in our campaign. Um, where I, I did something that might be, a I don't know. Horrible. Yes, I'll leave it up to debate. It's fine. No, but I, I did something that, that you don't always deal with in, in role-playing game campaigns. Cause I, I made things happen in the world when the players were away for a very long time. And when they got back, they learned of, uh, some things happening that they had to to reconcile and come to terms with. So I, I really kind of took it away from them uh, of being able to intercede or change the, you know, the course of things, but now they have to kind of pick up the pieces. So I'm just uh, interested in hearing Josh and Bryce's take on what Bryce described to me the, the next day or later that evening is it was like getting to the red wedding moment when they return to the city of Varen, one of the cities in, in my campaign. So I'll hand it off to you guys to, to talk about that. Then we can kind of wrap it up with what, what has happened since then or what's happening. Well, Bryce, you it go first. Hurt my you, heart a lot. Yeah, you have strong feelings on this. So. I mean, so if you look at it from a personal attack on me, it was really rude and I'm really sad. But for a storytelling... <laughs> Um, it was, it was really cool and unexpected. So that was, that was cool. But 
you killed Jasper, man. <laughs> um, so I killed one of the most likable NPCs uh, that they had met and, and all drawn this kind of connection to in different ways, especially Bryce's first character who is, who has since like died. But so it was like a Bryce, like I was gutting him. Yeah. He was the last, the last connection I had to my former life. And he took him (laughs) away from me. (laughs) No, it was really cool. I I did like it a lot. Um, I, I just wish we would have got our vengeance on that guy before he could, (laughs) whatever, planes walk away. Planes shifted away. Yeah. Yeah. And that was I. I gave them a path to solve the crime, find out who did it, and then um, they they got close and they killed one of the two assassins, but the last one absconded. He got away before they could close out their vengeance and escape back to his home plane. So the the quest for vengeance was left unfulfilled, which probably was the salt in the wounds. Because yeah. I, I killed not only Jasper, but I killed Paul's characters, like the caretaker of his shop and like best friend. I killed, you know, four merchants. I killed, I I don't know, the, the merchant prince, princess and her like household. Like I just, I put a swath of like 14 dead bodies in their way back in the city that they'd left, been gone from for like 40 days all orchestrated by this demon lord that is trying to invade and cause problems for him. Now, if we had come back earlier, would that have still happened? No. Absolutely not. It it absolutely would not have happened had you come back to to Varen sooner. Okay. That's that's curious. I like that. Um no, I I really liked it. Um because it had sort of like a kind of a, a detective or noir kind of feel to that that part of the uh, the campaign, uh, or at least that session. Like I, I felt like we were, it was a little bit more detective-y, and then we had to fight the bad guy at the end, and or the the bad. It was was it two? It was two, right? It was the one main guy and his like assistant. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I it kind of had that. I don't know. We tangentially, like they, you know, the the guard was sort of uh, um, investigating, and you know, we kind of ducked in and were checking out what was going on. And I don't know. I, I like that. It was sort of fun. It's it's not something you do a lot in D anD D, or at least in campaigns I've been in. So. Yeah, I thought that was really fun. Yeah, I planted some clues, some red herrings that took you guys almost to a conflict with like the Assassin's Guild in the city, um, <laughs> which was defused and didn't result in open conflict, but easily could have. So yeah, it was it was pretty fun. But uh, so you guys didn't get your vengeance, but recently you've you've talked to another one or two of the ancients. Um, met the creepiest of them all, the ancient of like chaos and destruction where he brokered a deal to free her. Uh, she can't interfere in your world anymore, but she's unchained to go destroy all these other worlds. So it was kind of like another one of those moral dilemmas for the characters to, to decide. I'm having a lot of fun playing with the concept of creatures that are even more powerful than the gods themselves and how they like 
don't care at all and are aloof and removed. It, it's been fun to kind of play with their different personalities and essences. So it's uh it's enjoyable. Any other thoughts on the sundering before we uh switch over to the 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 adventure on the high seas of um Wildmount? No, I just I'm excited to get to finally confront the demon that's to blame for all of this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a blast. Yes. Like I've really enjoyed it. Both. What's that? Yeah, I think, what are you guys, level 13 now? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, getting up there. All right, Bryce. I don't know. Do you want to you wanna recap, or should we just, I, you know, you've been running the started as one of the adventures from the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, um, kind of switching up our, what is our usual Wednesday game once we wrapped up Avernus doing a, a campaign. Um, the 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 key, really, that I, I want to make sure we touch on after kind of you give a little recap is your thoughts on, you know, what, what's needed when you design a session <laughs> versus what your players do to completely, like, sabotage your your yeah. plan. Um, yeah. but I, I don't know if you want to share it all or give a summary of, of wild monks or kind of through like the, the written part of the adventure for the most yeah, part, I think we, we picked one of the like intro adventures, um, and finished that up in, in three, three sessions. Um, and kind of, I kind of swerved it a little bit and, and how some of the things were supposed to go. Cause you guys like skipped a third of the the pre-written section and there's without me like saying oh no go this way instead you never would have really gotten there so i added in a little bit extra to get you to the levels you needed to be to to get to the end um and you guys had had kind of made a deal with a with a pirate captain of the revelry to help her find a, a piece of treasure that um she asked you guys to bring back to you and agreed to split all the bounty with you. All she wanted to do was sell it. And um, you guys tried to lie to her and say you didn't find it. And which would have been fine. There's a way around that. And then Heath has this artifact from a mm-hmm. uh, god who's out to d- destroy the world, basically. And um, he starts talking to it and asks it to help and then tells it ask the scepter that he has to remove them from the boat and at that point i had to just freelance and make stuff up on the fly so we the boat was destroyed (laughs) um just completely wrecked um and the captain got away and you guys were left stranded in the water to figure out um what you were going to do to get home and that was kind of fun um i know that no one in that is in the campaign is this far in or maybe never will be this far in listening to the second season of Critical Role. But I got to do a little, little uh, introduction of some of the characters there. I had their their captain of their boat come and save you guys and and take you to shore so that you could get back on your adventure. Um, but it's it's funny because the, then the next next week we played, I, I was like, okay, well, I want to prepare a bunch of stuff and create stuff stuff goes crazy. And I have I have five pages of uh, notes written for the night, and we got through literally two paragraphs of the first page. <laughs> 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 so, 
it's, it's funny, but it's fun because I, I mean, Ty, Ty, and Heath have these ridiculous uh, personas, and especially Ty trying to negotiate with people that have very high charismas is is very funny to try to watch happen. <laughs> I I also have very high charisma, <laughs> and my flaw is <laughs> my my character flaw is I will try to swindle people no matter how powerful they are. Yeah. I and seek out the hardest like <laughs> swindle and I am a total charlatan con man. I asked Bryce if I could sell insurance to people's homes that were about to be destroyed. I think I <laughs> faked trade agreement letters of Marquee from like far off kingdoms. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because Tom's, Tom's cleric is like very much lawful good and he doesn't know what to do he's threatened to leave you guys behind multiple times <laughs> and we've only played like five times in this campaign well i mean when the world realizes that that town is actually broke back docks <laughs> yeah you tried to convince well the, the people living in a city that the name of the city was indeed something different and it almost worked yeah. That's why we only got through two paragraphs. <laughs> because my character is ridiculous and should be probably put to the sword. <laughs> Troy, what uh what are you thinking? Koro, the uh the ranger of the group, the uh quiet, stern Well he's uh is it Gen C? I don't even remember what he's, he's uh, Genasi. The, Genasi, the the uh the whatever the air elemental influenced whatever humanoid person so it's kind of fun i think it's an I, i've had fun with just kind of building that character as kind of a, a kind of a out there a little bit different uh a different race and he has some cool i love i mean as a he's got some cool abilities and some cool and again i think it's been been neat to kind of work him into the 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 area right it kind of as a ranger on the coast and you're not it's not something you think about all the time, right? How's a ranger usually? You're always thinking of them in the woods or something, but thinking of like a a coastal ranger is kind of kind of different. So it's it's been yeah. fun for me, just kind of a little bit everything a little bit different, um, with some new. Again, it's cool that kind of the new stuff in Wildmount, right? That it's a little, you know, it's the same but a little bit different, and gives you a little bit a little bit of new stuff to kind of chew on. So exciting too, because you guys. I'm curious. Are um, like. Uh, oh, go ahead, Bryce. You're about to come upon an opportunity to go into possibly into a world that I've created that Ty has got to experience a little bit, but I'm going to, I have an, a way of working that into this campaign too, where you guys will maybe <laughs> get to a point where you, you can have a way to get between the two. Um, so I'm excited for that to something now for over a year that I've been just putting ideas down and I have free time to create something half of what Ty has done and see if I can live up to the to the godly GM that we all love. Jeez. <laughs> stop. <laughs> Ridiculous. Well as as a player you are doing you're doing great. Um it's interest it's fun to be on the, the other side and interact with, with people and annoy my brother primarily. <laughs> Try to recruit Troy's character to be my personal bodyguard and attendant. <laughs> See who I can swindle, and then uh, not fire a single shot from my crossbow. 
<laughs> those are my those are my goals. But super fun. Um, Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount is a cool book. Uh, I know talked about that briefly a different show. A lot of resources in there. A lot of you know Mercer kind of organized and championed that effort with wizards and it's clear his you know his fingerprints are all over that um as as it should be considering he created that that world yeah. of exandria and um the continent of of wildmount so fun to play in it's going good highly recommend josh it's it's uh too bad you're not in that campaign because my character would definitely try to also recruit you to my mercenary company <laughs> yeah man all right hobby goals these are old because we haven't recorded in a while but should we should we talk about the uh the um hopefully successful i mean delaying two weeks like there are no excuses here if your hobby goal did not get done just you know throw money in the pot and i don't know try and try harder get good at hobby I don't know what to tell you. Um, do you want to dive right into the goals? I know Bryce, you've been a hobby machine and did not have a goal, but you're kind of the the coach here, right? You're the our, our life coach yeah, of hobby. The motivator. Any uh, any overall hobby thoughts or accomplishments you kind of want to touch on before we get into our um, our specific uh, goals from from Josh the last was time? a very frustrating uh, p- patron. I don't know what to call him. It took until the day before we were originally supposed to record for him to even start his goal. So I, you know, you and Troy crushed it and and your coachability, Josh, not so much, but we'll work on him for next time. (laughs) Um, But I've just, I've been doing a lot of weird things myself. I, I did we skip Kickstarter? Did Troy not have any Kickstarter or is that next? We have we have it after hobby. We, after, oh, we have okay. it after hobby. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have something, and and I'm going to call it Kickstarter that I'm working on. So I'll save that for Kickstarter. Um, but then I'm working on some a little bit of Legion of the Damned here and there, and then all the stuff I talked about and and getting stuff from home done. But it's been kind of fun to just like this is what I want to paint today, and I'll paint it, and not really care about what game it belongs to or what it is. And, Helps me stay motivated and not burn out on trying to paint 40 spearmen for a Lumineth army that I won't play. <laughs> so before we just pass over the fact that you said Legion of the Damned, uh, how did it feel when you painted your first Space <laughs> Marine? Let's let's really dig into this and like get down into the the essence of you know 40k hobby. So I, it's it's no secret to you, especially that I've I've wanted to paint a Space Marine for a really long time, um, and you guys were all so hyped up about it, and I had a couple of Space Marines that were just sitting here, and I was like, you know what, I'll try it, and I I painted a, a Legion of the Dam, just I think just a, like a basic Space Marine, I don't know what they're called, um, but a guy with like a little pistol and a chain sword. And a backpack. Those backpacks are annoying, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun. I genuinely enjoyed it because I did everything that I did on it were colors or bases or something that I I just hadn't done before. Like I've never painted anything like power armor where you have to edge highlight every single side of the armor and all the little cracks in between. And it was it was fun to do that and 
and do some jungle style bases and stuff. And then I started researching Legion of the Dams, like just models and, and what people have done and saw all the conversion opportunities there are. Um, so it's something that I, I probably will never have anywhere near what I have for, for AOS, obviously, but here and there, when I feel like it, I'll, I'll convert up a Legion of the Dam model and paint a Titan for Troy, not a Titan. That's not right. Is it a knight? A knight. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, so just here and there, and then maybe if we get together and play, I'll play some kill team or something, you know, for sure. Make it happen. Let's um, should we should we dive into what the previous goal was? Yeah, sure. For each of us, let's let's just let's pull the bandaid. Well, it's not even a bandaid. We all did great. I gotta remember. We actually, (laughs) we you know, spoiler alert. We completed our goals. So mine was to build the Indomitus uh, Marines from the new box, and I actually um, I got it done two days after setting the goal. So we recorded. And then I had everything built within 48 hours after recording of the Marines from the the new box. Since then, I have done zero hobby. (laughs) I clipped uh, one Lumineth Spearman off the sprue. He is still sitting here, you know, in in pieces, uh, unglued, unbuilt. Um, But I, I did accomplish it. Uh, successfully, so I do not owe any money to the charity fund. Um, and I'll, I'll wait on new goals, but let's, uh, you know, Troy, knowing that you completed it, what was your goal and what did you accomplish? So I, I'm, 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 I'm wishy washy on mine because I kind of had again, Necron, Necrons was to work that. So I did get my squad of just plain old, um, Necron warriors built out of the new set. Um, I did get uh, a couple of destroyers built. Uh, I pulled on uh, uh, off uh, some of my old models too because I started to figure out how I was going to do that. Where I did get kind of stuck is I did I tried I'm I was playing around with I'm still not 100% sure on what my color scheme wants to be, um, and so that's where I kind of got stuck and I I kind of lost uh, lost lost uh, some momentum in there. But I need to you need that's to buy my... this that's great radio. You need to buy metal color magnesium. Yeah, uh, I, oh, I don't have magnesium. I have metal. I have a lot. Of, I should look because I have, have a lot of the metal colors. To, you that's have the, to. You said that I got to tell you your color scheme yep. for your test model. You have to do magnesium because that is as dark of a metal as you'll want. It, and then it will look wonderful. Simple oh, as that. Because that might give me more. Because, yeah, and we can maybe I can take it offline because I did. I do have gun metal in the metal color. And that's what I and I use that. And I got done with my test model, and I, I like it, but it's a little it's not bit enough. too. It's well, it's too dark actually. It's like it. I I need to figure out how to get some contrast. Like the whole model itself is a little dark, and so you put it. It's great when I put it all up to my face. I put it at a foot, you know, put it at a foot of twelve inches away, or thirty inches away, and and it's just it ends up being kind of all a little bit. You lose a lot, like right? so. I'm trying to figure out how to get. And whether that's the purple or something, like I need to figure out how to get a little bit of pop into it so that it looks good at kind of the table on the table. Because um, in my mind, it looks good when I pull it up close. <laughs> but yeah. when I go to get it away, I just don't have enough contrast in it. And so it might be um, interesting. Yeah, I'd have to look at the magnesium because I, I wonder if that might actually be a little bit brighter than the gunmetal I used. And it might actually give me um, a little bit more, a little bit more brightness where it still looks dark 
when it's uh, at arm's length, but it it still it has the overall uh, look that we're kind of going for. So maybe so that's where I maybe got what stuff, I'll so. do this weekend is build that Adepticon Necron that came and paint it with these colors, and then you can see what they look like, and then you can decide if that is is what you're looking for. Since I already have them, you don't have to go yeah. buy the the metal colors that I'm referring to. Yeah. You can just see it because I have one sitting here that I was going to give to you anyway. So I'll give it to you painted. Sweet. Cool. So that's where I am. So I'm kind of like halfway. I might, I might, maybe I'll go $10 into the kitty. Cause I, I feel like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't quite get to where I wanted to get to. Uh, I did get stalled, but, but I did do some other random. So, I mean, I painted, uh, I painted a random uh, MDF building that I had sitting on the shelf and, uh, and then I did get distracted by uh, um, a 3D print Space Hulk project that's starting to take shape. So, Project X. Project X, yeah. Project Next Adepticon, whenever that may be. <laughs> 2022. And I'm, I'm still probably, be- and, and basically, even if it's Adepticon 2022, I'm behind. I'm still behind. <laughs> <laughs> I got a rush, yeah. Well, my goal was to paint three items of terrain. And uh, I I think I got five items of terrain painted. But as Bryce said, uh, I didn't really start on it until like the week we were going to record. And then we ended up pushing it to, to this week. And that was great because I could get everything done. And it, it looks good. I'm I'm happy with it. It, it's turning out well, but yeah, I wouldn't have made the goal previously, and I I crushed the goal this time. And so, yeah, I don't know if we want to roll into new, or are we missing somebody? We got everybody, right? No, no, we got got everyone. I th- I think mm-hmm. let's just roll into our new hobby goal for for next time, and then we'll kind of recap where the uh, the balances are at. Well, I am planning on finishing that terrain set, so it'll be like a full table. So I have like five more uh, pieces to to finish up. So a couple of them are small, so they're they're you know two of them are just little um, statues, so they're nothing line of sight blocking. But uh, yeah, the other five are are decent size. So yeah, we'll we'll round that off, and it'll it should look good. Very cool. Troy, what is your uh your goal for the next episode? Which I believe we already know a a date for. I I think it's closer than our last episode. So October sixth, I think we're we're on the calendar for. Seventh, sixth, I don't remember. Well we'll yeah, we'll we'll get good. So I I will set so I just uh, I just created it as I typed it in the show notes. So <laughs> I think what I'll, my goal will be at least if I can, with Bryce's help, get to a Necron paint scheme. Um, that'll get me kind of off my this current roadblock I have, um, and be able to move forward. And then I'll so maybe I think it, it's to have the scheme and then have like a squad painted with it, so that I I've kind of got my first step to move forward. So I'm gonna. That's a, a strong goal. I like that goal because it's it's where I want to go. So, very cool. <clears throat> Mine is uh, to prime the Indominus Marines, 
and I've added the um, the eighth edition starter box Primaris Marines to to that. So I want to, and not just like Rattle Cannon Black, but I I want to Zenithal Prime, and then do the the gray model wash and get them all ready to go um, for painting, and then get a test model done uh, today. Though complicated my goal because I Bryce helped me out with like the colors, and I got all the paints I need for. Um, using like scale paints. Well, then I went and I saw Darren Latham on Instagram had a space marine he did mainly with uh, like GW metals and contrast paints, and it looked really cool. And now, granted, Darren Latham is you know incredible, so I <clears throat> probably won't be able to replicate it. But he talked about how he did his old like heavy metal style, you know, GW color color by number Blood Angels in like twenty hours per model. And he's like, this one he did in three hours, um, but it, it looks really cool. And it's kind of that contrast over metal. So you get a little bit, um, you know, more metallic looking uh, power armor. So I might try one of those just for fun. Um, but I, I want to get a, a test model painted as well. So that's kind of the, the goal is figure out exactly which way I'm going to go, have a model ready, and then have the rest from the two starter boxes ready to to kind of, you know, just... Um, I'm not going to like batch paint them all. I think I'm just going to do like one model at a time or two. This I want to do really slow and I want to take some some time playing around with it. So I don't want to like batch paint, you know, uh, too many at once. But priming them, getting them ready to go and then having a test model. That's my goal. Sweet. Any hobby goals for you, Bryce? Or just uh, continued coaching services? Uh, coaching, and then I have I want to paint twenty four models that I will soon mention in the Kickstarter portion, um, and build one model. I've been jonesing to convert something lately. I don't even know what, but I would just want to do something. So maybe it's a forty k model, maybe it's an ALS model, maybe it's just something. But build one thing, paint twenty four, and get you all to achieve your goal again. Nice. That's why you're the hobby hero again. <laughs> All right. Current balances for the hobby challenge charity donation. Josh, have you made a donation? Or are you still really at the $1,040? I did donate. Uh, I forget what I donated to, but I, I donated $50 so or something. To, I should have did. Are you supposed to be at a million? Yeah. I, I'm just or 999,950. Yeah, just shy of a million, 90. I think. Yeah. All right. So you don't quite owe a million dollars. That's good. That's a considerable mortgage, but uh, <laughs> at least it's not a mill. Uh, Troy, uh, I know you begrudgingly added $10 to your accounts, but you had cleared it, and I don't think you had shared where. Do you want to kind of talk about the charities you've you've selected for at least the first uh, gift giving? Yep, for, my, for my first uh, $100 is what I was up to in terms of failed uh, failed hobby. Um, but it all went to, um, and I'll give, I, basically I ended up going to, what was interesting is, um, and you'll have the um, the site that you had donated to, and his name is the football player is... Uh, Colin Kaepernick's... Uh, Colin Kaepernick's... Know your his, camp. Actually, yeah. his site was extremely informative. Mm-hmm. Um around looking at, at, at places and donate and stuff. Because I went to donate to him, but it also has a bunch of lists. And I think in the time since we've recorded a lot, the Jacob Blake stuff happened in Kenosha. And so there was a lot of, um, again, it was me like, okay, where 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 can I put this money in a place that makes 
um, that helps kind of local and, and close to home. It was interesting is um, Colin Kaepernick's site actually had re- you know, references and things like, hey, here's how you can help in, in different areas and things like that. So uh, I ended up, I spent $50 to the United Negro College Fund um, because I, I felt like that's a, a great place there. Uh, and then $50 went to the Wisconsin ACLU, again, just to help th- that organization, helping a lot of things in uh, the Wisconsin area here with whether it's Black Lives Matter or just social injustice and other things like that, uh, I felt those were two um, two areas where I could my, hopefully money can do some good. So, and my my failed hobby can hopefully turn into good for other people. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. And Bryce, you are still at zero dollars. We probably owe you for your coaching services, <laughs> um, but that will will continue. Now, what everyone has been not waiting for. Uh, Kickstarter. <laughs> Kickstarter. I hate you all oh, for So Simon got us again. I, they I did hate, it. No. Bryce they did and it. you got me. It wasn't. I, know. I got tied to give Simon. Simon <clears throat> had nothing to do with this. Their marketing is amazing. This. Their marketing is amazing. <laughs> Instant regret. So <clears throat> that's. I didn't even look. I didn't even find this on Kickstarter. I was on my dog's Instagram. <laughs> And for this came up. So tell them what it is, Troy. See, Simon, they know how to, they market to dogs. That's how good they are. <laughs> like they, they know it. So this is Massive Darkness 2 because one wasn't enough. Massive Darkness 2, and I don't remember what the actual name, like Hell something, uh, which You're actually. going looked, to hell if you back this or whatever. Right, something was, else yeah. like that. Um, Hellscape and, looked, and Heaven's Gate. Hell, Hellscape, I, I think, something like that. So. Um, yeah, it's basically they're 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 kind of re <clears throat> revamping Massive Darkness. Uh, they're kind of I think they're cleaning up some of the rules. But again, what got me is again that right, it's a billion miniatures for like a hundred and some bucks. Um, and it's really and again a lot of it is there is like an, some angel stuff and some <sighs> devil yeah. stuff and minute and yeah. So and I go in the end I'm like. So I have this a looks question. pretty cool. I'll probably never play Massive Darkness. It's like I think we played Massive no, Darkness. No, we played one, it once. once. We yeah. played it one time. Maybe why, twice. Why did all three of us back it? Why do we all why do all three of us need this? COVID. We <laughs> haven't <laughs> game together in so long. Like Josh, you guys could have just saw that I bought backed it and been like, okay, I'll like, not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would have been the smart thing to do is assume someday we can all like hang out again and play games frequently. Yeah. But right now we're all in this like weird kind of not like full isolation, but just not doing the the normal like stuff. So I, I don't know that we would have done it if if we weren't all kind of going through that. Um but I we probably still would have. <laughs> I don't know, man. I knew I knew at least one of you was going to back it. So I was like, well, yeah, I don't know. I had no know. doubt one of us would. Yeah. yeah. See, Josh, you were smart. Now, now, so little, little tangent, but tangents are fun, especially when they, when they are um, coming from my heart of anger and um, <laughs> disgust with myself. So we had around the 4th of July bought some new furniture. The furniture got pushed back and just got delivered Tuesday. Well, in doing that, had to move out old furniture, move some stuff around, you know, while I was doing moving of stuff, moved a recliner back downstairs, had to clear out some stuff that I accumulated in like the hallway, put it in the closet, so on and so forth. 
what it comes down to is then I'm like, well, I'm getting rid of the stuff, putting in the garage, might as well get rid of some of the stuff that's been cluttering up my like storage area. So I went to move an end table thing that had been made from like a bar top, the super heavy, like square table that is completely worthless. But in order to fit it through the door, I had to move this plastic shelf that had massive darkness stuff on it. So <laughs> I start moving this plastic shelf and all of the boxes for massive darkness that one come tumbling off that haven't been opened in two, three years. <laughs> like, and it's a stack, you know, like you got the main box and like three or four expansion boxes. I'm like this stupid game. And now I'm getting more of it. I was so mad as I'm picking up these boxes to put back on this like rickety plastic shelf that I'm moving. I'm like, why did I, why did I back massive darkness too so that that happened that happened sunday night and i was cursing up a storm in my basement moving this stupid heavy table the shelf and then massive darkness just comes to to crap all over me and falls off the shelf reminding me of my horrible kickstarter choice <laughs> that i knew i was going to have to talk about when we recorded on one huh. oh, that's great I was surprised we got you. I knew that Bryce and I were going down that, and I was kind of, I'm like, oh, well, Tyle see we're doing it. He won't. And um, I, then I all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, no, we got him too. <laughs> then, well, then I was like, oh, 140 bucks. This is a lot of stuff you get. This it was a good game. I bet this is even better. Like, they're fixing some stuff. This, Yeah, this will get played. This will get played. And I kind of convinced myself, so then I clicked buy. Instant regret, though. I was instantly like, "This was a terrible choice." No, see, I have no no expectation that this will ever get played. I was just, I was just made me happy with like, I'm getting a bunch of miniatures for 140 bucks. I'm good. The miniatures look cool. Angels, devils, that's kind of cool. Actually, angel miniatures get me. That I think cool kind of fighty angels are always kind of cool miniatures. I think are cool. So I'm like, all right. I'm in, but I, I have no expectation I'll, I'll actually ever play the real game. I'll just be using those miniatures for, for something else. <laughs> and I think, oh, you know what it was? There's also, I think there is a Zombicide crossover or something. Just, there is Black Plague. Really, you can yeah. use so that, that's actually, I'm like, oh, I'll, it's some more extra heroes for Zombicide. So yeah. there we go. That's what will get played. So Yeah, ask me about if I've, if I've tried that with the first one. No. Oh, I have, well, see, it's funny. What's funny is we have, and sorry for the tangent, like we've played what's in on Tabletop Simulator, we have everything. So we've played with the Massive Darkness heroes in like a Zombicide. And now we're like, oh, well, we should maybe do this in real life when we get a chance. So, um, so I've done it, just not with the real miniatures I actually paid money for. That's. (laughs) All right. Let's, let's go to one last Kickstarter thing before I. I don't know. Cut up all my credit cards and tell Seema in the cease and desist. Uh, so I received a, a Kickstarter on the that's the the Doctor Tabletop these drop tops. I don't know, did anybody else get in on these things? These are the things that replace your Citadel miniature paint tops, and they're more they oh. turn them into a little bit of a dropper bottle. I, I don't have that. any. Um, I will hold on. I have not. I've just started to replace a couple to, and so i don't have a report yet on fg if they're are they useful or not i um we'll see it's interesting it was it's an interesting way to kind of maybe have a dropper bottle type experience with your red without having to can cop you know dump all your 
take all your paints from Milos into dr actual dropper bottles, but um, we'll see. The jury's out a little bit, but again, it was only, I don't know, 40 or 50 bucks to get in on that, uh, to get have a whole bunch of those to try. So I just, I just got that. I'll report whether that actually worked. Um, the other one I got in on was this is the second chance on this one. Uh, it had a terrible name to start with, and I can't even yeah, remember. It this, was so bad. This is atrocious. Uh, uh, this yeah, right. This is the better name, Ty. This is the better name. Like the first <laughs> one, the first one was something about rainbows or something else like that. Um, and somehow he he failed. And actually, he they did actually get enough funding on this one. Um, but they went from some name to on the rivet, the race for the champion stripes, which again tells you absolutely nothing. Like right, do you want to give me guesses? You know what this is, Ty? Do you want to give me a guess on what the the game or anybody else what like what a this is a game about? Game. Originally, I thought this was a, a, a bicycle game about yeah. a river. <laughs> I didn't read that as rivet, like, or rivet. I read that as on the river, and I'm like, why are we racing on the river? What is this, and why? Yeah, and it's probably rivet. It's probably French or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, um, tour, tour de France. France or something like that. So, uh, and the only, so, again, the only reason, again, I have my sister and brother-in-law who are very big actual real in real life bike racers um and the guy is actually here in milwaukee so we can actually give him feedback and tell him he should, needs to pick another name for this before he actually releases it um and so i i again i'm trying to support somebody who's a, a local designer um doing something in a in a a subject matter that I, there's actually not a whole lot there's uh flam rouge is probably the best uh, game out there um, again that has a i don't know again interesting i don't know if you know what flam rouge is doesn't scream bike racing game but um unless you know what uh what you're french i guess um, or something right, so here. i threw some money at that and that was and that that's it so i will get some uh, uh a report on whether this actually turns out to be a real game or not in the future <laughs> here's what i think we should do troy we should take formula day we should skin it with bicycles Use the car and driver cards that are in place and just rename them like parts of the bicycle or like driver attributes and then sell it as Tour de France. Ooh, nice. <laughs> All maybe. Right, cool. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Before, before I go back another worthless uh, Kickstarter endeavor. Let's move out of Kickstarter into some no, no, other wait, items. Wait, wait, I did Kickstarter oh. the right way. Oh, that's oh, right. Wow, this is the, right, yes. the Kickstarter so, the right way. Yeah, you've all heard me complain about my Kickstarter that we'll be here in 17 years. Uh, so <laughs> I, I went about it a different route and waited until someone like Ty got angry with his shelf falling apart and wanting to sell one of the many things they Kickstarted on eBay. And I bought the full Lannister um, army from someone who backed it on Kickstarter and got 117 models, um, all the custom models for the whole range, one of every unit for the whole range, multiples of some. Um, and I ordered it, uh, or I bought it on Wednesday, and it showed up on my doorstep on Saturday. And it was wonderful, and I'm very happy. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So can you um can you convert Tyrion to have a goblet of wine in his hand if the model doesn't already? There is one. There's one that has an axe and there's one that has a uh, goblet of wine. 
Sweet. All right, yeah. cool. I want you to paint wine in the goblet. Okay. To look realistic. That's my hobby challenge to you for the, <laughs> the Tyrion model is realistic wine within the, the goblet. I'll give we that a whirl. We could do water effects. We could do resin. Yeah, I'll put a little... Just a mm-hmm. drop of resin in there. And color it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can make this happen. Cool. So Lannisters from the Game of Thrones, Song of Fire and Ice uh, yeah. miniature game. Um, excited to see how you paint those, especially Jamie. I want to see what you do with the Kingslayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super cool. Like all the characters, there's at least two. And like, I have three Mountains, three Jamies, two Tyrions. So there's there's a ton of different sculpts for all the heroes too. A lot of them obviously exclusive for Kickstarter, but... There's a mountain on a horse, which is super cool. It's it's like the size of a like a tennis ball, basically. <laughs> it's awesome. Sweet. Yeah, All right. That's how you kickstart the right way, I guess. <laughs> Less money and uh, same week delivery. Yeah, that's the job well done. Uh, delivered much quicker than your. Um, your um, other Kickstarter endeavors, which might take a while. Speaking of the uh, the way to do Kickstarters and our other items of geekery, I know this one is has bounced around. I saw it earlier in the show notes and hobby and didn't get touched there. Josh, I I will defer and allow. I will allow this. You can talk about three D printing. Thank you. This is to help people. I'm I'm only saying this to help people. So in my adventures, you want me to here? Let me. Can I help people first about 3D printing? Yeah, go ahead. Don't hang out with people that 3D print because it's like (laughs) how people talk about how they do CrossFit or how people talk about being vegans. (laughs) It's like surrounding yourself with people that are gonna only talk about what they're 3D printing, how they're 3D printing, where they buy their spools. It's like. Dude, I get it. You got 3D printers or you got 15 3D printers. I planned my last two days of printing around this episode so that it wouldn't be printing while we're talking. That's how into it I am. Um, and then I went to the CrossFit gym. Yeah, and then I, yeah. I didn't eat any meat because I'm going vegan, except for yeah. ice cream. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. I did have an Impossible Burger for lunch. but. <laughs> So anyway, All right. adventures, adventures in 3D, 3D printing, helping so, people, helping I've been, others. I've been having some major issues with, especially prints that have like 90 degree angles on the edges, uh, where they would warp and kind of curl up, and it's been driving me crazy. And Troy has been giving me suggestions, and nothing's really worked. Um, but I, I've been bumping the heat up, bumping the heat down of both the extruder and the bed, nothing's working, driving me crazy. Tried different filaments, everything. What did you do to Hans Gruber? (laughs) (laughs) I've been losing my mind trying to figure out what the problem was. And what I I read somewhere, uh, some guy was like, hey, just just dial down the speed a little bit. So I, I dialed the speed down like to 60% instead of 100%. And just for like the first, I don't know, 10% of the print. And it has changed the game. It's totally fixed all my problems. 
So I don't know who needs to hear this, but just slow down your print and it'll come out a ton better. Um, so for what that's worth, take that home and chew on it. So just like good barbecue, slow and low. Slow and low. Exactly. Totally changed the game. All right. Well, this uh, segment hopefully never happens again. Adventures in 3D <laughs> printing. <laughs> Take it slow. Take it slow. All right. Um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about library. Uh, so what what I want to talk about is um, something I haven't read or watched, but I'm I'm adding to the list because I, I I saw the news and I thought it was really cool. So uh, Benioff and Weiss, the the guys that led up the Game of Thrones uh, HBO uh, programming, um, ended up getting the the rights to sci-fi uh, novel series of novels to adapt. Um, from a Chinese author, and the the first book was the Three Body Problem. I know Troy. I think you saw this too, and we we chatted briefly about it when you dropped off some Star Wars uh, toys here <laughs> uh, for Landon. Um, but it's uh, looks. I think Netflix picked it up, so I'm I'm really interested to see what Benioff and Weiss can do with a, another sci-fi fantasy vehicle. Uh, with the flexibility they get from being on Netflix, from a you know a budget and kind of how that those releases happen, so I thought that was pretty cool entertainment news that kind of blends this sci-fi and um, and fantasy worlds of, of pop culture. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. I, I read Three Body Problem, and I, I I'm hoping I think this this is one where the TV adaptation could actually be better than the book, or at least the experience I had with the book. I, I listened to it. Uh, again, it is a Chinese translation. I thought the the story and the plot was really cool. It just, I think, some of the execution of the actual book itself, and some of that might be because I was listening to it, was it was I felt I had to struggle to kind of get through it, but I I was happy I got through it. So I'm I'm actually excited because this could be a case where the TV series actually is a better, um, in my mind, ends up being a better experience than the book did. And and again, there's a I think it's a three book series at least. Um, and I only made it through the first one and I was like, okay, it'd be interesting to know kind of what happens in the rest, but, um, I'm not, I'm not that excited to read it. So I'll, I'm happy and I'll wait for the Netflix series. So. <laughs> cool. Um, and it'll probably be a ways off. So we'll, yeah. we'll see it probably when they actually show it and we'll be like, oh, isn't this awesome? And we'll yeah. forget totally that the rights were optioned back in 2020, the year that hopefully the world forgets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, Troy, Josh, Bryce, any anything else other and, and cool before I I dive into a couple? I know you guys have a, a few ideas. Um, I on just here. Had, again another thing on Netflix I stumbled upon. We've talked about Altered Carbon again, uh, awesome, awesome Netflix series, book series, whatever. They're actually I stumbled across an anime for Altered Carbon, um, and uh, it was uh, again a lot of fun. It definitely if you like anime because it was definitely kind of over-the-top violence, a lot of blood squirting and things like that in typical uh, anime fashion. But uh, I, I thought it was a really good, um, you know, altered carbon story, right, uh, in, in, that, mm-hmm. in that world um, and, and fun with that. And it's a fun, again, it's like a 90, maybe 90 minute, 80, 90 minute kind of thing. So if you, if you stumble on that and you need a little fix of altered carbon, uh, check it out. Cool. Any, um... Bryce, any any kind of non non reading or 
Uh, it's Netflix, all I do I right now is watch the NBA playoffs. So that's yeah. that's all I got. It's been about, great. How about that Clippers collapse? No, I love it. I love Jokic. Yeah. I, I got to stop calling him that. <laughs> People don't get the joke, but one of my friends never knew his name, so he would always call him Jokic. And um, <laughs> that's not his name. That's a tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That Jamal Murray. Uh, is it Jamal Murray? Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's been pretty awesome to watch. We could do an episode, NBA. Uh, yeah. Um, Playing and slaying. Josh is a basketball guy. Uh, review review of the finals. Yeah, we could review the finals. Game by game breakdown. Talk about how the Bucks aren't in it. <laughs> I watched the Bucks game. That was about it. <laughs> um, I did watch a uh, tutorial, and I I also have a pitch that I shouldn't probably say on the air because somebody will take my idea and and run with it. Um, so. The guys from Anvilate, Ethereum, uh, their RPG launched last last summer. Um, they've got uh, an, an adventure out on Drive-Thru RPG. Um, in addition, there's there's another kind of podcast, YouTube type show uh, that they've they've done some interviews with. Yes, they they occasionally cheat on us, uh, probably because these guys do stuff like this. But the Beer Thralls um, did a kind of tutorial uh, character creation video for the Ethereum role-playing game, about 30 minutes long, and they're doing a couple parts. I think the second part just dropped, but pretty cool uh, to see that, the Ethereum uh, role-playing game character creation. <clears throat> they also, uh, Anvilate, had, and we had some fun uh, talking about it in the, the Discord, um, they did just kind of a uh, here's, here's the game, like YouTube video of their own, uh, kind of exploring what the Ethereum RPG is with some <clears throat> incredible uh, acting chops of of Brian Nairo, Will Conway, and Aaron uh, Darland. It was um, mm-hmm. it, it was just fantastic, Academy Award winning worthy efforts, especially Brian. There's this epic handshake. There's this dice roll across the table. It's it's all uh, incredibly. <laughs> well executed for uh an introduction to a game video on um on youtube but <laughs> worth checking out definitely uh you know big fans of what they do and, and ethereum role-playing games really cool concept but check out the beer thralls how-to videos check out the ethereum rpg video but it brings me to my idea between the character sheets so between the sheets a little innu- innuendo but between the character sheets you know, there's like watch it played for board games with Rodney. There's nothing yep. like that for role playing games. How you get into it, what they are, mm-hmm. how you create characters, at least that I'm not aware of to that to that scale and that level. But I want like a 30 to 40 minute like how to before you go buy the 50, 60 dollar book, before you invest the dozens of hours in the reading it to get familiar. Just uh, here's what it is. Here's how you play it. Here's how you create a character. Here's the you know, what concepts are different about it. Mm-hmm. You know, what what may attract you to it or, you know, keep you away if you don't like this type of game. But there's so much of that for, for board games. I feel like role-playing game books don't get that level of of review, of exposure. Um, so that was, that was an idea I had that I... All right. Need, I, well, you know, I, I need some it. workshopping. Um, well, no, but, no, I, I got uh, this. This is good. I, th- I like to say, because I basically, you know me, Ty. 
I buy <laughs> role playing games. Yeah. That I know I'm never gonna play. Yeah. Like I have shelves and shelves of bookshelves of, of RP and so that's what I could do. I could literally just like and that's all I do. He's like open, okay, here's how you create a character, or whatever. And but I could I would feel like I'm getting use out of these all these games that I get interested in and buy. But I could at least like, hey, here's how you create a character, here's the setting. Um, and that's all I ever in and, and if I never play them, that's great. But at least I've informed other people on what's there. So maybe maybe we'll have to have a spin-off show. That'll be a... Yeah, so that was the, the title I was working with. I I like that. Um, it's like good. But yeah, I don't know. That's cool. Yeah, and then and just to not to um I think our Ethereum they actually have like three or four different uh, up on our uh, drive through RPG uh, adventures for Ethereum sitting out there. Uh, I think a, a few that Aaron have written and uh, and Will are all up there. And I actually only said it because I went I because of the video I went and looked at that and I actually grabbed a few of those. And I think they're only like five bucks or something else. So a good way Sweet. to kind of stick your stick your toe into Ethereum um, and then kind of have something to to go off and and play, buy the game and then play one of the adventures. That uh, I think Ethereum is really a, a cool. Um, it's I think it lends itself too to having kind of those one shot kind of adventures too. Yeah. Because of the way you can have different, very different uh, types of adventures, and uh, you know, you're kind of logging into the game. So, so yeah, that was that was my thought there. Interesting. Any before we close the door on the other segment, was there anything else? I, I see a few. I don't want to skip past I, any. I don't know who put that. We've got to talk about those Lumina dice. Yes. No. The return, <laughs> the return of Dick Dice. Come on. Yes. No. I, yeah, we I'm, haven't had I, Dick Dice in a long time. I was so. I, it's so funny. Like it's gone to a point where initially they're, they're I, initially, trolling. They have yeah. To. Initially, I was annoyed. Right. right. Initially, Dick Dice was annoying. Like, oh, why can't they make dice? Whatever. And then they it got and maybe it was kind of around the Squig Dice time, right? Where it's like, all right, at this point, they've kind of embraced it. Like, we're gonna do <laughs> dice that have no yeah. functionality, but are just kind of cool. And then they, I, what set was it? I felt like they kind of, I was worried they went and one of the recent sets was actually it was like, the, it was the Lumineth, um, limited edition box. box oh, it, yeah. It was those nice, like dice. yellow, totally one, reasonable, right? usable, yeah. functional, not going to get anyone flipping tables or, yeah. and I was so they look clean. Yeah. I was you know so the, disappointed. <laughs> the, the other thing about these cylindrical dice columns, like, I don't want to get close to you to see what you rolled, but there's no way from across the table I'm going to look at that pile of dog shit and say, those were fives and sixes, those were threes and fours. <laughs> there's no distinguishing them. Uh huh. They're, they're going to just they're drop bigger. flat. They're not going to roll. Yeah, they it, roll. I watched. You got to roll them out. No, that's ridiculous. You got to well, get. They got to have some. They got to have some barrier to work. Ridiculous. Yeah. I, I I love my d sixes to have twenty sides. Ty, I don't know what your problem is. Yeah. It's like a D20 that's a 10-sided dice with a plus or minus on it. And you roll it and say everything's the 10 plus because you can't tell if it's a positive or a negative. <laughs> that's a deep cut. Oh. That is. Um, but I love. I was so back. happy that they went back to... Di- that the Luminif dice were just them embracing. Because I was worried they were going away. Like, they were going to go back to have functional dice. And I'm like, that can't happen. And these are just above and beyond. Like... You thought yeah. the squig dice were kind of the pinnacle? No, like the Lumineth one set a new bar, and now it's just like, what? Where can they go from here? Like it'll be. And correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, but I've seen some of them. Some of the pictures I've seen, 
have them in number numerical order one two three four five seventy nine or one two three four yeah. five six. So yeah, they don't go to twenty, Josh. Come on. No, they are nine right. sides. It's yeah. one through nine. One through nine. Well, there, yeah, and there's a symbol 20. on the four and the seven. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's and the, the eight thing. never comes up because the eight has like a divot, like a bump, like that extrudes <laughs> from it, so it'll never land on that side. There's 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 a a symbol on both the the one and the six. This is the yeah. closest they've come. The true dick dice. This yeah. is like oh, yeah. a dick shaped dice. Yeah. Oh, All it's yeah, missing. Literally, listen to the show. That's what They're this micro penis dice. Yeah. Yeah. They are micro penis trolling dice. the playing and slaying show with the luminath dice. Uh, Let me take out my dick dice and measure the one inch <laughs> uh, combat range of this weapon. <laughs> no, they're three oh. inches. It's yeah. the but see, I don't see. I'm not. You gotta like... stack three of them together. <laughs> but see, I, I've got I've kind of completely over. Like I'm at the point where I'm I am now expecting, embracing like I want to see how far they can push it. Right. Like, like I'm 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 way I like at first I used to be annoyed, right? I used to be like, oh why can't and now it's just no, like let's just go in and embrace it. And like I said, I was actually worried that they were gonna go away and actually make functional dice and like like I'm no, waiting for the next set to be giant spongy dice. Like oh, spongy. Well, I'm or I like, don't know. Is there like a death die that's not even like just skeletal hands somehow? And depending on how they land, like you count the fingers or something. I don't know. Like I think there there's there's more things out there that they can do. So. Or make not dice yet, out of but acid, tweet they burn through your hand or something. Yep. Not yet. Tweet at Ben Johnson and they'll make it. If they need <laughs> to continue this one upsmanship of dog shit, they will they will find a way to make it happen. The dice hey, we realized circles. we couldn't give you guys models for six months, so here's a bunch of crappy dice. <laughs> the next dice will be they'll be marbles, and they'll have numbers on. No, the roll forever. Yeah, <laughs> the gargant, the gargant dice are going to be those oh. lawn dice. You know, the big yeah. wooden blocks, yeah. and you actually roll them, Giant. and they actually destroy everything on the table. Yeah. Oh. And they're going to be like, play with your gargant dice and dice. kill everything. Oh. And, and you have to throw them over your head. Probably kill you. Yeah, like a boulder toss. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. Stupid dice. Man, my blood pressure's got to be up. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I saw them and it, it legitimately... I was like, this is so stupid and silly. I and thought it was It's fake. so funny because some people love them. Some people hate them. Some people don't care, but... I, it's like they're just trolling. Like they are, they are now doing things just to see what they can get away with. I thought for sure when I first saw them that they were fake and they were just gonna be like, ah, just kidding. Here's the real one. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, these are the real thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't tease them on April 1st. Yeah. Right. Ugh. Like Primaris flakes or whatever the cereal they teased was. All right. <laughs> oh, Anything else before we take a much needed break? Yeah, let Ty um, kind of lower his blood pressure. I, yeah, yeah, I go, yeah. I go de escalate the situation. All right. That being said, before we throw open the doors to the BOD library, we're going to take a little break, come back here in a few moments. And we are back at the doors of the Basement of Death Library. It sounds pretty quiet inside, but we're going to open them up and see what we have been reading, watching, and listening to. Josh, I'm going to let you take this one away. 
because uh, everyone knows you are the most voracious reader of the group. False. But actually, this time, you have some more books. I do. And and Troy can chime in here, too, because I think he just recently finished the first book, too? Question mark. Yes? No? Maybe? Troy? Um, oh, the 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 king's Free dark the tiding, the, yeah. yeah yes uh i'm in i'm in the middle of the second book so okay yeah i'm like uh, a few chapters into the second book so yeah um but yeah so king dark king's dark tidings uh i think this was a brace suggestion yep. if i remember correctly yeah super good um really enjoying it um and i think we're gonna do a more in-depth thing later is that is that our, our plan? Yeah. Yeah. I think like a, a mini sode, like a book club style discussion, because um, it's rare that there's something we've all read. So this will this will be a good chance to kind of for Bryce and I to revisit the first book where mm-hmm. it's recent for you guys. And we can kind of identify, um, you know, some things that we can extract and talk about a little more in depth. So look for that upcoming. Maybe we'll release it as a separate mini episode or insert the segment into a, into our next one, whatever it may be. But um, We'll and we'll be of, a, a little. We'll probably be a little spoilery, but that way, people, if they yeah. want to skip over it, will they can will know when yeah. to skip over it. But we that way we can we can dive in a little bit deeper. But that is um, "Free the Darkness" by Kel Cade in the King's Dark Tidings series, book one. Super good. Really enjoyed it. Troy, what's happening in the uh, Siege of Terra? Siege of Terra, book four, Saturnine, uh, Dan Abnett. It's uh, lived up to everything I anticipated because once we got to a Dan Abnett book, it's it's definitely my favorite out of the the four so far. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it it's interesting where it, I have the collector's edition, so I started reading it, and then it, and then the audio version came out, and so I restarted it to listen to it. Um, to listen to good old Jonathan Keeler and I want to say Emma. I can't think of what her name is. Um, she does some of the the female parts in there. Um, just again, the performance is really good. And there's it's a cast of thousands. Like um, in some of the notes that Dan talks about, um, it's like he's like, how do I get all these? There's so much happening. How do I get all these people in the book? And he um, and he, he again, it's a it it's a really good. Um, it has a little bit of a different. Again, it's interesting in the, as you go through the Siege of Terra, you know, different things happening, and they all have a little bit of different approach. You know, the the first one is very much the Solar War is very much kind of a a void war kind of what's happening as as that comes into there. Um, you're going to make me think Lost in the Damned, and the second one tends to be uh, things as as things start to happen on Terra themselves. Um, and then Gab Thorpe's the the last wall really has uh, interesting, and he does some different things on that one with the how the uh, in terms of pacing and how he actually tells the story a little bit out of order. Um, so so interesting there, and very much some of the guardsmen point of view there. But again, there's plenty of Primarchs, plenty of the uh, Abaddons, and all the people you're you're used to, and all those things. But um, I, again, I just I loved Abnet in in Saturine, and there's some really cool things happening and there's a it's a there's a bloodbath like there's a lot of there's a pretty good body count of different of, of people in, in this one too um so uh again uh, everybody's reading all the siege of terror books i assume um but i will and i do owe 
um, <clears throat> I do owe an update to our uh, our uh, reading reading guide uh, <laughs> that people have been uh, people have been pinging me on there about uh, about when are you going to update and what are you thinking about the Terra books and so I've been answering that but I, I do owe them that so look for that on the Basement of Death website uh, coming up as soon as I sit down in front of the keyboard for uh, for a couple hours here or something so. <laughs> I just want to know once once we get to the cataclysmic battle between Sanguinius and the, the uh, I demon. think we I think we got four books left, so that's going to be towards the the tail end. <laughs> oh, there's some epic again. I don't want to. Sanguinius is has some epic scenes in this book too. Um, yeah, as he some, should. He's the greatest Primarch. Yeah, so I mean, he, he, there's some. Um, there is one really <laughs> cool scene, and in in. And he has some really uh, interesting. It's interesting what they did with Sanguinius too, because I, I think Abnet actually went a little different way. There's some, and I don't want to get in any spoiler way, but there's some stuff where Sanguinius is key into how the story kind of progresses and how, and a lot of it was kind of filling the gap. So it's more of like we knew these things have, we knew these things happened again, just basically from old lore and things like that. Um, but how basically Abnet used Sanguinius to kind of tie these things together and to kind of explain how these things kind of happened was interesting. It was a little, there, there's a, an interesting twist there that I'll just leave that cool. as a, a little bit of a, a, a tease. So you find out he's actually the emperor's favorite. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Josh, a little bit of Netflix uh, going on. Yeah, so I finished The Last Kingdom, uh, and this was like a while back, um, like probably shortly after our last episode, I finished The Last Kingdom, which is uh, kind of Vikings, Game of Thrones style, uh, super good, um, and yeah, I, I highly, highly recommend. And uh, then I started on Umbrella Academy, which is based on uh, the comic book series, and also a lot of fun. Cr- crazy good, a lot of fun, yeah. Um, so yeah, I cranked through that as well. So, um, kind of superhero-y, uh, type storyline, really, really fun. Did you do the second season of Umbrella Academy? I did. Yes. Yeah. All the way through. I'm, I watched part of the first about it. It'd be interesting to know if the, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's worth, worth, worth a watch for sure. How about you, Tyson? I start. I started Umbrella Academy season two, then I got distracted when I realized that the 100, which was one of those like kind of crappy CW shows that ran for a while. Uh, but I had watched a while back the first five seasons and season six, the final season. Originally, it's a group of 100 kids that are sent down to the earth after the earth had been like thought to be destroyed and humanity had moved into this space, these space stations, these arcs. Um, and they were the first like come back to the earth to see if it was uh, habitable again. Um, and it, now it's gone so, so far from there, you know, like cryogenic, like you're not cryogenic, but stasis as they try to find another livable planet. And like, you know, this group of kids that are now, it's funny cause it's clearly one of those shows where the people who are in their thirties are playing people that are supposed to be like 19 or 20. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, so I, I'm, I'm working on finishing that cause it's, you know, it's that post-apocalyptic kind of sci-fi ish and it's, it's actually a decent show. Um, you know, I, I think it, it has some glaring like problems with production value and 
stuff, but it it's relatively well executed. Um, and I know it's based on a book series. Haven't read any of the books, but no, oh, it's it's not the sequel to Wally. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. What happens oh, after they get quite. off the cruise ship? No, yeah. oh, okay. I thought I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could maybe same same world. <laughs> um, so. And then uh, Lovecraft Country. Now, this I want to talk about with no spoilers. But this is, if there's been a must-watch show of this year, it is Lovecraft Country for me. Um, There is not a minute of an episode that goes by where you're not tense and waiting to see what happens because it, it puts these two drastically different things. One, the supernatural, dark, gothic horror of... H.P. Lovecraft, Cthulhu, Monsters, and Mythos up against the kind of stark reality of um, racism in post-World War II America. Uh, so it, it moves the needle from the classic Lovecraft taking place in like the, you know, around World War I and, and moves it forward in time to, I think, the late 40s, early 50s. Um, so Jim Crow South... Um, counties where you know african-american people can't be out after dark and all these different scenarios with like race that create this this kind of tension but then over that there's this like dark scary world of you know otherworldly uh tear um and it's based on a book by matt ruff uh my wife, she started reading the book and is kind of pacing as we go through the episode so she doesn't get like too far ahead, but seeing where they differ, kind of doing both at the same time. Um, the show is incredibly well done. It's it's on HBO. Can't think of the actor or actress's name, but like you'll recognize people from other shows. Um, and uh, very good. Highly recommended. Uh, HBO. I would, I would say it's, it might be the best show I've watched this year. Um, you know, past and current seasons of whatever else, but um, enjoying that one a lot. That's kind of the the watching for me. Any anyone else watching anything? Has anyone started Lovecraft Country other than? No, I, um, I mean, I I was interesting to know whether you had read the book or not because I know the book people were really excited about the book. Um, and so it'd be it'd be interesting to know from uh, Nicole like what how how it compares like is the. It might be one of those things where, again, the TV show is as good, or it just in a you know you know in a different way is as good as the book itself. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it there are several of those, I call them those oh shit moments where you're waiting for something because you're expecting a jump scare, but then something totally different happens and like just kind of like resets your expectations. Um, well, that reading, might just. You might just have bumped it up my list then. Uh, it was on the the list of two watch. That might that might be next. Yeah, I, I didn't, I, um, and I didn't realize it was it's J.J. Abrams and Jordan Peele. So yeah, of course. yeah, Abrams yeah. and hard yeah, to go wrong producers. There, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're producing in like kind of show show running. Um, then I'm I'm reading uh, the Sandman Slam book five. Devil said bang. I finished a true crime book, which I don't usually read called the devil's harvest. This one, I just want to talk about briefly because I saw a Buzzfeed news article that was an excerpt from the book. It's about a, uh, he was a kind of, he did some work for the cartels, but a serial killer in, in of sorts, but a, a hitman that operated in, um, 
the valley in California. So the farm, you know, the farm regions of San Joaquin Valley, where it's a lot of migrant workers, a lot of poor, destitute people um, in this dichotomy of the very wealthy and the, the very poor. And a lot of his victims were uh, either illegal immigrants that, you know, the police didn't thoroughly investigate or he got away with it for a while until, um, you know, until he ended up like confessing when he was being questioned and explained all of these murders that they've now pinned on him. He, he operated for like 30 years, you know, through the 80s, 90s. Um, so relatively recent. And it's called The Devil's Harvest. And it's written by Jessica Garrison. She's a, an editor for BuzzFeed um, who wrote the book. But it, it also goes from a chapter about him to a chapter about the, the socioeconomic, like, uh, you know, history of the area talks about like the, the farm workers um, efforts for like pay and rights with like uh, Cesar uh, Chavez and, and others. So it's, it's a really cool book. It was really quick read. And I read that when I was on vacation back in August, went up North and I, I read it that weekend we were gone. So wanted to touch on that since last time um, for anyone that likes true crime. Um, it's it's kind of a both a, a study of the region and that you know the last thirty years in that area of our country, um, and I, I learned a ton. I had no idea, you know, the conditions there and like things that happen with like chemicals that would drift in and they'd evacuate a town or like the water supply being terrible and like causing cancer and these these things that like you just we don't hear about, but they're <laughs> in America, which is pretty pretty crazy at times when you you learn things about your own country that you were completely unaware of so mm -hmm. highly recommend that one all right troy this looks like a troy book network effect yeah the murder bot diaries number five um martha wells this is uh i think i've talked about reading the murder bot series in the past they are really enjoyable it's uh told from the the point of view of an ai um security um uh, sec sec unit robot um <laughs> better known as he calls himself murder bot although he doesn't tell anybody that it's only his name in his head um <laughs> uh and he is uh very much uh um and it, it it's it's funny it's comical it it he's a very humanized AI, but it's kind of like, he's very antisocial. He doesn't want like, he doesn't want to be with humans. He just wants to, uh, it's what's funny is what he likes to do is just watch TV. So he like, he likes to download media and, uh, whenever he can, if he doesn't have to keep humans safe, he just wants to sit in his closet and watch video. Um, so this is the, the fifth one. And it, uh, it builds on kind of the, the, the characters and things that have happened in the, the previous one, but it is kind of a self-contained story and some of that and brings back some of the, the, the characters from some of the previous ones. And it, it really fun. It, it's a good, it's, it's one of these that, um, if I need a kind of more of a lighter, a lighter read, uh, I, I, I love this series and Martha Wells does a, a good job with it. So, um, again, if you're, uh, if you're looking for something in that lighter sci-fi kind of stuff, I would, you know, I put it in the same thing as a lot of Scalzi kind of, if you read John Scalzi, that kind of tone, which is kind of has some serious stuff, has some, you know, there are definitely stakes in it, but it kind of has a lighter tone and has some comical elements to it. So, Very cool. Someday I'll read the first one. And they're short. The first ones are more no, no, uh, novellas. Uh, 
they're really short ones. And then this is the, the first one that's more of a, a true novel length. Josh, is that one you had started? I know there was one AI robot book, or is that a different series? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the, the Bob Bob's. series. Yeah, Bob and Oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I need to finish the last one. It's it's in my queue. Trouble with Peace? Yeah. That came out yesterday. Yesterday. It is. I'm so happy. I was so I, uh, happy to dip my toe back into Joe Abercrombie and that world. It's just well, it's so quick, which is great because Little Hatred was just spring. Like we get two yeah. books in one yeah, year. Yeah. I just opened my Amazon box last night. And it's on my counter. I need to finish two books before I start another one. So you know, I was <laughs> yeah. I actually I kind of I worked really hard to finish Network Effect. And then I basically had, I finished it on, I think, Monday. And then on uh, Tuesday, I was able to jump right in and get into the first hour or so of, of Trouble with Peace. And uh, yeah, it uh, picks right up where a little hatred goes and all our, um, and and a lot happened at the end of that first book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm actually more excited, like, I'm really excited to see it. it, it he set a, so much stuff up. And so it'd be interesting to see where he goes on this one. So, but uh, yeah, you can't go wrong. Uh, go back and make sure you re- start with the blade itself and read all those books. So. <laughs> they're worth it. You can skip the half a king stuff. Uh, they're yeah, they're okay. They're they're it, it's again it it was nice when we were waiting for other Joe Ambergrammy stuff. So it was <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that'll be one next episode. Hopefully, I'll I'll have started at least, and we can we can chat a little bit more about other than that you are very happy and I'm very excited. All right. Any other uh, consumption of media? Well, then I, I guess, mm. I guess we just dive in to the, the main topic. I think uh, in the intro, I sold it as multiple topics. I, I think we've only landed on one, maybe two that, that we're going to end up discussing. So sorry for the false yeah. advertising. Uh, but I will lead in, um, in our, in our, our discord, we have a, a thread in which the four of us, I think there's four of us, um, (laughs) and Craig have, have, uh, we share thoughts on a number of topics, sometimes related to the show, others, you know, related to, to things we've seen or things we want to talk about. (laughs) And I don't know how it came up, but, um, there was a, I mean, it got a little, a little tense. There is some, some tension. Uh, yeah. Well, I think, and, and I will, I believe I started it because I believe my appearance on cubic shenanigans, I mentioned the fact to Dan and, uh, and Brendan <laughs> that I, d- I did not like, I thought I, I got getting their opinion on, on what was their thought on objective mark on these objective marker templates that we're seeing now. Yeah. And I believe Ty, you heard that and you were, you, you had a take. <laughs> yeah, I did. So just to, to level set, they are, um, the honest war gamer. So Rob Symes, uh, is where the first, for the first of the clear ones I saw, I think it was frontline gaming or somebody did these mouse pad objective markers. They're like six inch in diameter circles they could put on the table and they would mark or pie plate 12 inch if it's six inches to the center or whatever it is. 
that would mark where an objective is on the table. Now, the mousepad ones were had logos on them. You know, it makes sense. They're they're branding their thing. They're kind of structuring ITC in this like competitive scene. Um, well, then Rob and the Honest Wargamer trying to kind of bring tabletop uh, to the like the esports kind of mentality. You know, streaming games, showing it, and what's what's very necessary when you're streaming is to get a visual sense of where things are on the table because you have that overhead view and you're trying to, to display that. Um, so they made these kind of clear acrylic templates that mark the center uh, so you could measure where your objective is placed, put it there, and then it is clear so that it does not obstruct the view of the, you know, the, the tabletop surface, uh, terrain, whatever it may be. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Troy, Troy, and and Bryce, do you want me to kind of let you guys explain your your position, or should I explain my position uh, to to set the table? Do you want me to kind of? And I share your position, Ty. It's it's kind of two versus two here. Oh, and and maybe should I start? So basically, I think believe what I I don't even remember what I said exactly when I when I I was on. You said they are terrible, and anyone who uses them aesthetically pleasing wargaming. Um, I don't think that's what I said. But I was close, um, but it, in the end, I, and I and I, I yeah, I, I basically said I really don't like the like I didn't like the look of especially it's the mouse pad ones. Like I think those were to me they were just offensive. Like I don't want like they they take away from the game and the enjoyment of like I, I'm playing the game to kind of have some immersion and we put so much energy into our models and the terrain and everything else and then we're dropping down these again. And it's really the mouse pad ones were the ones that really rubbed me the wrong way and some of that um and in the end i'm like I, I understand like okay i really want to measure but i'm like that's not why i'm even in a competitive sense that's not what i'm playing for is to make sure that you know it's it, to me it and some of this is I, you know way on my if i go on my history some of this is like a little bit of still the rub from war machine versus 40k players right where war machine is a much yeah. more structured whatever game and and so part of that is again, I know it's just a reaction from me. Like, keep your keep that stuff out of my 40k uh, and some of that. So, so that I think Gate, that was are you my, gatekeeping? Yeah, yeah. Are you right. gatekeeping competitive yep. gamers yep. out? Okay. Uh, yep. Okay. Well, it, I mean, it, and I don't, I don't. Well, I don't want to go down the thing, right? I, I think you start to go down as we as we dissected my. I'll save my thing, but as we dissected my, as I dissected my whole thought pattern, as you, as we were thinking about this. Um, I have there's a lot of background I think that to, that creates my position <laughs> in some of that and again some of it I've also it's been interesting um, um, no I, we'll, we'll save it because I think I, my position you guys have shifted me a little bit because um, I'm always a big of, of strong positions loosely held so I can always be <laughs> I can always be you know it's a, I, I, hopefully that's where most people are right if you if people have a decent arguments you can be yeah you can understand things but um, it's good to but I definitely am in the camp of I still. I'm not, especially you don't throw one of those most branded mouse pad ones on my table. Like I don't want to see those. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Bryce, do you, do you wish to elaborate and, and support uh, Troy's initial uh, position or, or your own, your own opinions before Josh and I kind of counterpoint your, your points? Yeah. I mean, I, I very much echo exactly what Troy said. It, it some six inch diameter circle on the table of models that I've put hundreds of hours into that take away from my enjoyment of the game is uh, not something I want to play with. 
I had never seen the clear ones before. I'd only seen the ones with like a name and then like lightning bolts and stuff and like that that ruins when there's six of those on the table, it's like, well why do we even have a table? We just play on a on a kitchen table and have no terrain and no mat if this is what we're gonna have. Um it's my my thoughts. So Josh, any um any of your initial position and and where you come in on this? I I will agree with you guys on the mouse pad ones, though they're they kind of take away from it. Uh, the the clear acrylic ones I think are a great game aid um, because there's no question about whether models are in or out. Um, everybody knows, everybody can see. There's no extra measuring going on. Um, I, I I think it's a a wonderful a wonderful tool to help in, in competitive gaming. So I, I like that you call it a tool uh, because that to me is, is why I fully support these. And even, even the atrocious looking mouse pad ones have a place in wargaming, And that place is any competitive uh, and we'll, we'll argue about what is competitive or discuss, you know, later, but where there is perhaps money on the line, or, um, you know, love it or hate it, ITC points and rating if, you know, there's, there's this element of, of wargaming that is um, cash prizes and, you know, p- potentially contentious movement and objective placement. I, I think there's a place for clearly marking where those objectives are in that setting, regardless of how it takes away from the aesthetics. Now, myself included, I don't want to play in that in that venue or that that space. So I tend to agree that personally I wouldn't like somebody dropping six of those mouse pad circles on my table. I think it is it is slightly jarring. But what I, I think I said and I still stand by is it is no more or less jarring than the guy that puts his Subway wrapper and sandwich, his big gulp uh, soda, his 300 different dice and little pockets that he rolls his papers, his books, his packets on his whole half of the table. So it's like I'm looking at the messiest desk in in my office when I look across the table. Um, Especially if I they're that is... 20-sided dice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Put those on. I'm just walking away. I'm not playing. <laughs> so I, I don't think they are any worse than people that put put things all over the table. And I, I've put a lot of stuff on, t- you know, tournament space here sometimes strapped for where you can actually store stuff so a book ends up up there an army list or whatever i get it but i i don't think they uh take away they being the the markers any more or less than than that scenario which i i think we all agree happens all the time like you know one out of every four tables in a tournament hall has one of those disorganized chaos type you know, not chaos allegiance, but chaotic type of, of like, you know, managing their space. Um, so I get the aesthetic. I get that. And if it's a perfect aesthetic, the terrain is, is really well done. I think it's also a different story. Um, there are times at, uh, at tournaments where the terrain isn't all um, incredible, but there are certain tournaments where the terrain is incredible. You take something like that to a Holy Wars or a Holy Havoc where Steve has poured, you know, 
hundreds of hours into creating a a beautiful table, I have a problem with with it potentially, you know, be, because of the aesthetic is the reason that you're playing on those tables, the the narrative, the the flavor. So that that's like my take on the the mouse pad. Um that there is a time and a place for them. Uh the clear acrylic ones, I am far less concerned. And and I actually I saw a picture on Twitter I sent you guys because I'll be honest, there were six on the table. I could only find four at first like <laughs> glance. And then I had to look and see where the others were. And I, I think if if that's the case where I'm I'm glancing at it and I see just a little bit of clear acrylic that's not hiding anything below, that's you know, marking a clear space. For me, it is a great tool to have a fair and balanced game. I've I've personally been subject to um, contentious moments at a table where measuring from an objective has has been a, a point of my opposing player that you know called me on a measurement. It was a fraction off because who knows? Maybe you know that sixteenth of an inch was lost when the little tiny objective token slipped. Maybe it was from just you know eyeballing it. It it was not. Um, easy to tell but it it you know i didn't argue it further i was like if that's how we're gonna call this after two turns and i've, I've talked about that before i'm not going to talk about it you know further but i've been subject to events in competitive games where a clear line of demarcation for the objective would have created a completely different play experience and that's where a lot of it comes from for me because i can't always control who i'm playing against if I'm playing with the three of you, I don't care. I do not need a clear acrylic marker to tell me where the objective is. I'm playing for a totally different experience. But if I'm in a tournament where I don't know who I'm going to get up against and I, I want to have just a, a nice even game, I think setting that as part of the table to create that space. We talk about creating a, you know, a safe space and a lot of different things, but in a competitive game, you're trying to have an even playing field, and I think they help establish that even playing field. So that's that's really where I I come in. So any any points or counterpoints? I, I kind of went on and on there. I felt like I said too much. <laughs> I I will admit that in a sense I have come around, and I it's not on the clear acrylic because like that's still. I think like it's not super noticeable, right? But it's still like a thing that's there, and I'm like, oh man, it's like the piece of paper. It still bothers me that it's there. Mm -hmm. So what I've come around to, and what I actually think I want to do, is make them for the table. And I messaged this actually in Discord today, but um, I saw uh, an MDF um, cutout that was the perfect size for it, and it had like cracks and stuff in it. And I thought, well, what, what if you just themed it to the table? provided the six or the four for the table, then they're part of the table. They're very clear. They're measured already. And it's a win-win for everyone because then you have your objective. People don't have to bring tokens. You don't have tokens on the table either. You have this piece of terrain mm -hmm. that's made for the table that does the thing. And obviously not every TO is going to want to do that or put the time into it, but that is, is my compromise. No, it's in, yeah, it's interesting, Bryce, how I've been in the same as I tried to absorb. Again, it was the the picture you sent, Ty, of the. It's interesting, the clear ones, the acrylic ones that kind of had. I'll call them like they kind of have a 
um, like a target on them kind of right of that. I actually, and, and again, in my narrative mind, I'm like, oh, in 40K, I'm totally okay. Because in 40K, that's the, you know, that's my electronic readout. That's what the Marine, space Marine's yeah. seeing in his helmet. So I could, I could buy into that. Like I could make that work in my mind with, oh, okay, I can leave that. And then it was funny, Bryce, I was the same way I watched. I was watching, just because we were doing this, I saw a review of somebody had, you know, a MDF you know, objective counters. I saw the thing. I'm like, oh, I'm going to hate this. And I watched <laughs> it and I got in the same thing. And I'm like, oh, hold it. For like AOS, you paint, I dry brush that up as a stone thing. And all of a sudden I was like, holy shit, like this, <laughs> like this would bring me around. Like, okay, now it, it's actually a piece of terrain that's the objective. It makes sense. And I'm like, and which is funny because now instead of just going from a little tiny thing, I'm actually doing an MDF yeah, <laughs> counter. Yeah, yeah. But I actually thought that actually, you know, if that's painted appropriately, like that actually mm -hmm. it, it would be awesome in an AOS game or something else. Again, even in 40K, if it's appropriately themed, it's like it, which was funny. Again, as my, as I, as I work through this, um, it's like, when does it make sense and whatever? So it, yeah. It, Again, I'm still like, don't throw, don't throw a, a mouse pad for everyone. But I think there's other ways that you can get it. And again, it like I, I think yeah, even in a narrative game, if it looks cool, right, and you can kind of talk to it, why it makes sense, right? Um, it it, it only is going to help your game, right, in some in some respects. Um, and then, uh, but uh, yeah, it's the, <laughs> I, I think it's all about yeah, how do you continue to still have that narrative and respect the models and the other train that's on the table while still adding this as a tool. Right. Yeah. I think that's what you said there, kind of the, the respect and Bryce, you mentioned the hundreds of hours. Um, what I, what I will say is, is part of that. And it's interesting. And this might lead us to the, the next kind of topic um, is the change GW's official kind of publishing of uh, tournament scoring and including 10 points uh, for your army being painted in the, their like standard, I think it's the 40K like tournament play, uh, tournament scoring. Um, and there is, I, I mean, the internet being the internet, you get everything from, uh, you know, the sky is falling to this is the, the second coming of, of, you know, Christ. Like <laughs> it is... Uh, it has been received at, at both polar extremes. Um, I, I think that that respect is is becoming more and more present uh, in um, at least in AOS. I can't speak for 40k. I know there's some very good hobbyists in 40k, but I, I think you know 40k has always been the place of you know somebody putting a, a tuna can on the table and calling it an orc stampa, or you know you hear these horrific stories about things that are so poorly converted or poorly painted, or you see the London GT where it was like black spray painted styrofoam, you know, wall on the table, like the, and not that all 40 K is like that. So I don't want anyone to come back and say, Oh, not all 40 K is there's blah, blah, blah. And I know there's great hobbyists in, in, in 40 K. Um, but I, I think that is more prevalent there where the hobby is secondary or tertiary. And when I say hobby, the, the painting, the aesthetic, whereas I think in AOS, it is, there's certainly very competitive cerebral players, but it is not as far down the list in that kind of objectives of their experience with Age of Sigmar. Um, we've all run into them. There are, there are players that have dipped their models and 
you know, slap the color on it and call it good. We see it, but I think it's far less often, at least in our local AOS scene as well. Um, so I think that that kind of adjusts kind of people walking up to the table and what they see is the difference. Troy, you even alluded to it in like 40K, the target, it makes sense. I can, my narrative brain can get there. Like this is technology showing me the contour of the planet where I'm, I'm my tactical, you know, point is. So that, that brings us, that being said, to a discussion about what, uh, what competitive 40K or competitive AOS means, means to us. Now, this is less debate, just more kind of, you know, explanation. And, it, and this also stemmed from similar to the, the objective markers. Uh, this was a discussion that kind of sprung from my, my kind of arguing the point that competition requires um, like a fair playing field. I used an analogy to a soccer pitch. You know, the goals are even. One is not uphill from the other. And how terrain kind of is part of the the field. I used like this equation between sports and a field. Um, and terrain should be functional and help create the space to play the game in. And I kind of was saying that along with the lines of the objective marker. Because to me, competitive play is as close as you can get to an even playing field. Where then how you manage your, and to go back to the sports, how you manage your roster and how you get people on your team, it's kind of like your army building. You know, you have the tools at your disposal and that's your selection. You can pick any army that's out there and put together any list within the 2000 points available to you. So it's, it's imperfect because it's not balanced, but it's perfect in that you control every single choice from a list construction you make. What you don't control when you walk up to that table is terrain placement, objective placement, and what battle plan you're playing. That's up to the tournament, but that all contributes this environment of competitive equality. So when I'm in a tournament, a competitive event, I'm, a, I'm expecting an even playing field. Um, so that, you know, that, that's what contributes to that for me is competitive AOS or 40K is an environment in which the tournament organizer has created an even playing field for me and the opposing player to, to see who is better at playing the game within the rules of the game, but not having an, an advantage or disadvantage that is anything other than self, self-inflicted and letting the dice and how we mitigate randomness affect the outcome of our game. So I, I think that's about as succinctly as I can describe what what I look for in competitive play and what competitive AOS or 40K is to me. So I'll, I'll hand it off. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll probably go upper, upper right on my screen. So I'll go to Troy um, to kind of talk through and so, either argue things yeah. that aren't competitive or. Yeah. You know, and and, and maybe I can just share it. Cause again, it feeds into a little bit of where other thing. And, and I want to, I think maybe we just, we put this to the side and maybe we come back to it. Cause something you'd mentioned earlier, I think in maybe as we compare AOS and 40K, as we've looked, the fact that there's much more tournaments with money and higher stakes in the 40K thing, I think has shaped that environment differently mm -hmm. than what we've seen. And again, maybe if, you know, if Rob gets his way and we get to be hyper-competitive AOS, I'm actually be, I might be a little sad because I worry that the things that we, that I don't like about some of the hyper, you know, very competitive 40K would seep into that that environment, which I, I feel is super, is really healthy in, in terms of even the competitive environment. But 
you know, way back when, um, the difference that I, and this is my, my fundamental difference. And, and I could be completely wrong is from what you said, Ty, um, is that I believe the table should be a random element of the game that you're, when I'm coming to play a 40 K game, I'm playing it on that table is part of the random element. And whether I'm, whether I'm playing, you know, if I'm playing on table one and that's completely different than table 10, that's part of the thing as a competitive player, I need to adapt to, and I need to figure out how to win on this table 10 that's different than table one. And I, that one thing, and I don't know why it was when basically it was like Nova open that started to go to this. We're going to have every table look exactly standardized setups. Yeah. Standardized thing. And it just, it didn't to me. I'm like, well, you're losing, the game is losing something in terms of the, the fun of, of going to, of, of having, you know, the terrain is part of the game in my mind. I mean, that's always where I've been. And so, and by having now a standardized train table and those, those, you know, yeah. now it's the ITC and the stupid L-shaped buildings and things like that. Oops, I'm kind of showing my, my thing, right? Um, right. It, it, it standardized terrain in, in some respect. I feel like it, it's lot that you're losing something of the fun part of the 40K and that it's actually, it should be a challenge to the, but I totally understand what you're saying, Ty, right? As as competitive player, I want to remove as many random elements as I can. But I've, I've always believed that part of wargaming is I'm going to this table and it's a different that's part of the 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 challenge is this table is going to be different than that table and and I need to understand how am I going to win on this table uh, and and that, that's part of the challenge of me as the general of this army to adapt to that and so and that's just I, I understand that's a fundamental my view versus mm-hmm. somebody else is doing that so my 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 one question is what what do you think about terrain functionality because I think what what you get into when you have terrain as a random element is um let's be honest there's some very disparate uh treatment of how terrain looks and feels and is it playable is it useful you know does it contribute to the game or is it just there as you know as as table dressings like do you think that terrain should be playable or do you think terrain should just be aesthetic like what is your uh i think it should be i think that's the exciting thing about ninth edition right that's something that we lost in eighth edition was the mm-hmm. fact that terrain started to not have a lot of function um on the table right it it just ended up being blocking some line of sight and maybe that's yeah. it and so i'm excited to kind of like kind of where aos is right where different um you know, although I I feel like sometimes an AOS terrain doesn't have enough of a, <laughs> uh, and that's just some of the, a function of the game, right? Like a lot of times we're playing in between the terrain rather than on the terrain in some respects. But yeah. um, but I, that's what I'm excited about ninth is it kind of brings back the idea of functional terrain and again it playing a part in the game, right? And and how can I take it, use it to my advantage and or or disadvantage? Or is it going to put me at a disadvantage and I need to figure out how to overcome that? Okay, cool. I'm gonna move over, Bryce. So actually, um, kind of, I think right in the middle of what Ty said and what Troy said, to what I actually want to do for Ragnarok is have the templates or the bases of the terrain be three different sizes, so a small, medium, and large, or whatever it is. Sure, whatever's on them might be different, but each table then would have two large, three medium, and four small. And the the base size of the terrain would be equal across the boards some might block more line of sight than others but the footprint that it takes up and the maneuvering around it or through it would be relatively the same just because i do think there's there's countless times in in my experience where i've been 
on a table that has this huge piece of terrain in the middle and then a bunch of little stuff that you can't move through and all this stuff that's hindering. And then the table next to it has two farmhouses, a <laughs> set of trees and a yep. pond. And like that has a huge impact on the game and, and some armies benefit from it and some don't ensure it's random and fun, but it's also really annoying <laughs> if, if, you can do nothing about it when if you would have played the person on the table next to you it's a completely different outcome so i do think that that having the terrain standardized is important but i think there's a way to do it and still have everything be unique and and there's always going to be like yeah you can't walk up this cool looking wizard's tower it's kind of just there to block line of sight and to to be in the way and have to maneuver around it or consider, you know, your flank is protected or not protected or whatever. Um, so I, I know that that's impossible unless you have the same 12 pieces of terrain on every table, but I think there's a way to meet in the middle and have the terrain be similar across the terrain, but have each table look unique and, and feel special. I, I think that's a really good point, and and I, I tend to agree with you on that. I, I think for me, like, knowing what you're coming into is important too. Um, you know, to, to Troy, your point about terrain being one of those random things you need to like conquer as a general at the table. When I, when I think of it in like that competitive, like mindset and, and I occasionally I take competitive mindset in an AOS tournament. I don't just get hammered and then, you know, see what happens with random chance. Sometimes I, I, I get a little more cerebral at the table. Um, if I knew what I was looking at going into it. I think I would alter my my army list at times to to play to the to the type of terrain or or what I might be expecting. Just as I think, you know, I don't know, was it the Art of War where there's an entire section of the book <laughs> about you know controlling where the battle takes place, yep. understanding the terrain, understanding your own capabilities and and where it takes place. And that to me, in a competitive like war game either let me know the terrain and, and what it's going to be like in advance or have it be something that is a little more controllable from like standardization. But that I think Bryce, you, you're kind of marrying those two uh, things that Troy and I both have to, together with what you said, which I think is a cool approach. Now I have a question for the group. Um, l- l- let's say the the terrain is more or less standardized ish. Uh, you know, it's maybe not totally homogeneous, but um, each table has got you know a similar number, and and maybe like like Bryce said, you know, there's uh, what did you say, two two large, three medium, and four small, or whatever the number is. <clears throat> uh, but l- let's say some of the some of the terrain is skewed to one side or the other, um, per you know per table. Um, maybe it's not spread out exactly even, um, but you do have that random ability to pick sides. Does that, um, like, how do you guys feel about that type of situation? So I think it's on the TO and his help between games to walk through the hall and reset the tables. Because I've seen so many times, and with even in just the few tournaments that I've actually helped with, where people move terrain in their favor while their opponent's not there yet or whatever mm-hmm. it is. 
and then you have to be called over and asked to help. Like I even mm-hmm. thought about going as far as at making a pack where I have the terrain set out for that game printed in it and show the large, the medium, and the small. And then you walk up, you're like, okay, it's game two. This is where the terrain should be relatively. This is where, where the objectives are. And then there's no argument. It's that step is completely like are yeah. taken out because it's it's super annoying and stressful as a TO or an assisting TO to have to deal with that crap. And like mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is be called over and have to listen to two people complain about where this piece of terrain should be in the center of the table. And <laughs> if you lay that out from the very beginning, you take your stress off yourself as a TO and you make it very clear to the people at the table, like. This is what it is. And then it's a different table every game, too. So you can shift and have, you know, the bigger pieces on the left or the right or the center or whatever it is. So it's it's like a different game every time, too. So so I think I think that's a, a great concept. And and I know I've already mentioned Herner's terrain at Holy Wars and Holy Havoc. But one thing I really like about playing there is the the terrain maps are part of the, the like the table you get up. He's got the placard there that shows where things are supposed to be. And then he always says the tables play at Holy Wars, you know, Holy events, the tables play. And it's true that the train rules are like game breaking crazy at times. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know what you're getting and you know where everything is. So it's not like I as a, you know, a less, uh, less scrupulous player could go and say, oh, Troy went to get a cup of coffee. I'm going to shift this thing that does D6 holy wounds a turn six inches his way so that it screws him in turn one versus, you know, sorts it out in the middle. Like, I just I hate the fact that I'm I'm thinking about it and controlling shitty behavior, Um, but that in a, you know, in a tournament like winning's fun, winning games is fun, but also like is is kind of why why I play at times I like to win. I get really frustrated and want to quit AOS if I I don't win. And that's just kind of my DNA as a, a player. And the fact that I have to worry about people that are so focused on winning that they're going to like cheat to win or attempt to cheat and use the train is just another vehicle for them. That, that kind of bothers me. So to mm-hmm. your point, Bryce, resetting, having a map is, I think, important to me as a player. Yeah, I think, I... I think all levels too, right? Because... I've had, uh, just thinking of this Walpaca, the top table in game four made me come over and decide where the terrain needed to go. And a guy on table, whatever, 47, <laughs> did the same thing. So it's like, it's not just good players or bad players. It's like, there's there's always people in between. So if you just can eliminate that from happening, then I think it just provides a better experience for, for everyone. Because maybe they're playing a passive person and they don't want to say anything and they'll just concede and mm-hmm. let the person ruin their game. You you can take a simple step to stop that from happening. No, I what think it's I think or, sorry, Troy. Yeah, no, I was just saying again I I I again we have you have to unfortunately right in these bigger tournaments you have to kind of put the stuff in for the the bad actors and so forth but you know i i in all the you know 40k gts i've played in and things like that i I've, I've never really had a problem like like that with it i've usually you know it's like when we're starting the game it's usually together like okay is the stuff in the right place and do we agree that there's nothing egregious in that and i again personally i've never really had um 
a, a bad actor in it, but I totally understand. Again, when there is 200 people or 400 people in the room, you are going to have a certain percentage that just are, are squeaky wheels, and uh, and so things you can do to to make that better is uh, is is probably okay. Yeah. Yeah, I always try to talk about terrain, or or like you know if an objective is going to land on something weird, uh, you know where it's like falling off or whatever. Hey, are we okay shifting this piece just slightly so that you know whatever? Um, or if it's a, a large uh, piece of terrain like right, Bryce, like you were talking about, you know, is this? Can we go up on it? You know, is this impassable? You know, having setting those ground rules ahead of time, um, I think helps with that to some degree, at least. Yeah, and I mean, we're let's for for <laughs> the sake of argument we're all relatively reasonable uh individuals that are interested in the social contract of you know having a good game with people yeah. you know sportsmanship is important to to all four of us so i i think we we do that but it's it you know as the bigger the tournament gets or the more people that you have the more chance you have of, of that guy being there you know the right. individual that when you bring your own train brings five unplayable things that are you know these graveyards <laughs> that just he has no problem flying over them but anything else won't be able to touch that space on the board like yeah. you're going to get that guy or that girl you know it, it whatever you're going to get somebody that's out to to just crush the fun of everyone else in the room in some way or shape or form. But like, we're reasonable people. We have those discussions. We, we say before the game, Hey, this, this huge temple here is in the way of like all the dice I need to roll. Can we just shift it half an inch or this objective token is going to fall off this stupid hill that serves no purpose other than making models slide off of it. Mm -hmm. Like, we're going to have those discussions because we're reasonable people that are looking to, to have a shared experience with our opponent and make it a good game. We're not there to, you know, to make enemies and earn the, the wrath of 40 other people in a tournament hall. Like that's not what the four of us are out to do. Yeah. But I, you know, it, it goes back to the TO's responsibility to take as much of the chance of something like that happening away. Um, so that everyone can have the, the get the most joy from the tournament, you know, increase the, the utilitarian kind of like greatest good for the most people. For sure. And I will say, I love your idea, Bryce, about kind of the kind of standard stuff, but looks different and whatever. Cause I think you would trick me. Basically you would do that <laughs> and you'd basically have standardized terrain, but you'd trick me into not thinking that it's standardized <laughs> terrain. And so I'd be, yeah, best of both worlds. So it's like. <laughs> Any other thoughts or questions on kind of competitive 40 K and age of Sigmar and what, what that means to us. I, I think that was some, some good discussion. Uh, any, any other thoughts there? think we uh yeah at least for now it's it's late so i think we're, we're probably, out of, it we're is. probably a lot of thoughts this is so. a marathon episode this is <laughs> this is good this is what happens when we delay two weeks we just get more and we want to talk more um hopefully our listeners break this up in like three parts so they don't they don't miss any of the fun stuff all right that though is going to get us uh into kind of the wrap-up uh bod news and events um you know 
COVID continues to, to rage across the United States um, and other parts of the world, England, you know, new lockdown kind of changing the, the course of things there. And we'll see when we get another tournament or convention of, of some type. Um, I'm not aware of anything really cool coming up online. I think GameholeCon has some registration for their online uh, event coming up or game submission. There's, you know, some windows there. Um, may or may not check that out. I, I don't know. Um, but that, that's kind of the next thing I can think of from like, uh, what's out there or maybe interesting the folks is game holes um, online. Yeah. And well, true dungeon online, uh, Josh, I, I feel like we talked about that, but it was just you and I talking about that with Mike. Um, yep. and, uh, if, if people want to, uh, check that out. Um, and I don't know a whole lot about it, but they are doing an online true dungeon experience, um, with kind of, uh, uh, where somebody actually, I believe, walks you through the the true dungeon with a camera, and you're the whole group is still there, and you're interacting. So, uh, uh, might be something to check out if people need a, a fix of of true dungeon, <laughs> and you get pulled, still, right? <laughs> yeah, they still ship you tokens too. So, yeah, pretty cool. I'll just play shuffle shuffleboard and <laughs> watch terrible YouTube videos of fantasy actors that aren't really actors sweet i'll be interested though what are they charging for it do you remember josh i don't remember i don't remember it's Um, not cheap but it's not super it's not 80 dollars or whatever it's not 80 but it's still probably no it's still probably more than 30 that's my i think oh wow i remember i I don't remember what the number was but yeah okay We'll have to get that for next time so I can rant about <laughs> a 30-minute online experience with piss-poor camera work. Mike said it was pretty cool for what it's yep. worth. So, yep. All right. Our our biggest True Dungeon fan has told us the online event is right. pretty, yeah. pretty <laughs> It cool. may be a little biased, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Any Anything else, events, upcoming news? All right. Well then, thanks for listening. Please leave us a review wherever you might listen. I like reviews, even if they're like, these guys are completely mediocre. Everything they say is boring, and I turn it off after five minutes. Let me see that so we can get better. You got to put this at the start of the episode, because if they turn it off after five minutes, they never hear you asking. (laughs) Oh, that's a good call. Episode 49, the Joe Montana episode. I'm going to do that. And don't forget potato. But, uh... Find us on <laughs> potato. That's right, potato. We should change the word now and see if anyone actually gets that. <laughs> the prize is no longer potato, it is now banana. If you've listened this far and you tweet at Josh, potato becomes banana, you win the prize. Potato becomes a banana. If if you if you send potato, we'll give you a small prize. If you send potato becomes a banana, you get a big prize. <laughs> oh boy so facebook playing and slaying twitter at play and slaying show basement of death.com all of our emails at basement of death.com it's been fun thank you all thank you guys for putting up with my uh especially ranty i felt like i felt i don't know disgruntled this episode <laughs> a little little edgy it was, it was the dice yeah. <laughs> it was the <laughs> luminous. <laughs> that was damn it. it. I put him over the edge. 
I'll keep any dice except for the luminous lumineth dice rolling the drinks on ice and no matter what keep playing and slaying Ooh. And I, uh, I have expanded Alfred's kingdom uh, to be about half of England. I have married my daughter off to Mercia because I was following the show. But <laughs> what you'll appreciate, Josh, is I had a knight named Uhtred, and in Son my very first, my very like Uhtred of of Bebenberg, uh-huh. Berg, um, very first battle. Declared war on a neighboring country, one of the Jarls, you know, sent sent my armies. Very first battle, my knight Uhtred died. Oh. And I was like, but he's he's Uhtred. Like he's supposed to become a marshal. Like he's supposed to be the guy. Yeah. So then I was like, well, I just gotta get more knights and kept recruiting and then had a ton of kids. I had like eleven kids because I kept doing romance schemes with my wife. (laughs) And you can like get different relatives and things you could like murder neighboring people or heirs to the throne like it's insane it's like a role-playing game inside of like a civ strategy game and it's so damn hard i can't get a kingdom to last beyond like i guarantee now i'm on i think my son died and now it's my one of my younger sons took the throne and my kingdom's half the size it was like i've got people on all sides like banging on my doors i'm out of money the pope hates me i'm just i'm fucked and i'm like 70 years into my dynasty i'm like what am i supposed to do so i'm going to restart again and try you know try a different king and see if i run that one into the ground but now i'm on my fourth kingdom i've destroyed like three <laughs> three kingdoms but i refuse to drop the difficulty down to very easy so i'm trying on easy and i get so far along and then I'm bankrupt. I'm overextended and it all falls apart so quickly. I'm like, being a king is fucking hard. Yeah. Like people don't like me because I execute people for like, you know, you find out a noble has fornicated. I'm not going to let that shit fly in my kingdom. I'm a godly king. Execute him. And then that causes 15 other nobles to hate me. And then my vassals start saying they want to be on my council. And I'm like, this, this sucks. <laughs> so it's incredible though it's absolutely an incredible game crusader kings 3 <laughs>